0: World's Finest Podcast, episode 93. Always I'm Michael Sims, and with me is James Doe. Sir, how are you doing? Doing alright. How are you? I'm good. I'm I'm really good. Um Yeah, you know, in the in the last episode we put out that call for donations. Uh-huh. Um, you know, because uh just my computer's shitty, frankly. And uh, it's going downhill quick, and you know, we, we let everybody know that if they go to earth2.net slash donations, it's earth-number two.net slash donations. And uh, if, they, if they donate $10 or more by the end of this month, that being December 2010, they will not only receive uh, my DVD commentary of Superman, Batman, Apocalypse, but the person who donates the most, again, until the end of December 2010, will receive a handful of gifts from James and myself. Those being, and James, correct me if I've got these wrong, Batman Beyond, Return of the Joker, that's a brand new sealed copy, correct? Mm -mm. Uncut. Exactly, the uncut version too. They'll receive the book Batman Animated, which is all about the history of Batman the Animated Series and Mythology, the DC Comics art of Alex Ross. So again, donate at least $10 to Earth2.net by visiting earth2.net slash donations by the end of December 2010 and you'll um, you're guaranteed to get the Superman Batman Apocalypse DVD commentary by myself and the person who donates the most will receive everything I just said. And I have to say right now, there is a very, very clear front runner for, uh, f- for those prizes, but that doesn't mean it can't be topped people. Huh? huh? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to say what the highest donation is right now. That should be kept private. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, we've gotten a, a good number of donations and, um, uh, you know it just it it warms me up it really does and you know thank you again to everybody who's who's donated and everybody who may continue to donate uh, um from this point forward so uh but yeah yeah uh, uh, enough of that um but still you know do do, do please donate because, um, again, it, oh, maybe not enough of that cause I'm going to get back on it. Again, it's all about getting me a new computer so Earth2.net and World's Finest Podcast can continue without a hiccup in its programming should my, sh- you know, should not should win, this PC eventually does crash. So, there you go. If you could help us out, that would be great. Okay, but now, enough of that. The first official episode of Tranquil Tirades at Earth2.net uh, this past Friday, as of this recording. Yep. And I gotta tell you, I've I'm 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 not joking or exaggerating when I say this. I've listened to that show at least three times at this point, point. <laughs> and what it's about two hours and ten, two hours twenty minutes long, something like that. Something yes, something like that. Yeah, that is. It, it, you guys got one hell of a program going on there. Of course, you know you had the 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 segments on Earth Two dot net the show that that predated this first episode, but yeah, wow, <laughs> you know. This is a very strong launching episode. Thank you. Thank you. Um, You know, for anybody who hasn't seen it or, well, heard it, I should say, uh, James, DW, and uh, James's roommate, Michael Cole, not the Michael Cole, though. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully. Yeah. uh, All sat down to review the 2010 remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, And two minutes in, Michael proved to be the new Adam Fisher. (laughs) He didn't blurt out singing Goldfinger or anything like that. Didn't blow out anybody's speakers, but two minutes in, people, two minutes in, he made a joke that literally, I am, again, not exaggerating, literally had me in tears. (laughs) And there were several points throughout where all of you were funny, don't get me wrong, but he would just make these out of the blue, completely crass jokes and you guys kept referring to him as the New Adam Fisher, and I was just like, "Oh my God, yeah, yeah." <laughs> you know, at yeah. some point, we need a and Michael in the same room. I, I oh. the awesomeness will just explode the earth. <laughs> oh my God! But uh, yeah, I mean, wh- what do you want to say about it? I've been, I've been praising it. What do you want to say about uh, your program? Oh, now? thank, you, thank you for the no praise. Problem. I, I do
1: appreciate it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very happy with how it came out. Um, the intro to the show, with all the quotes everything, I made that, and I was very happy with how that came out. That was uh, very
0: nice, and I think the ending was also very good, too. I like what you did there. Thank you. Uh, I, I assume uh, you did that, too. Yes. Yeah. Okay.
1: I'll make a new one of those intros every few episodes, just oh, okay. so sort it's of stale. <laughs> yeah. But I basically modeled it off of like my favorite sports radio show in here in Atlanta, so... The, the kind of style, so it, it actually came out very similar to how they do it. So I was I was pleased with how that came out, and I'm very pleased with how uh, Dubs and Mike and I have already seem to have gotten good chemistry going here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, of course, uh, Mike's dog had to chime in every once in a while. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you got you got a fourth presenter there, don't you? <laughs> yeah,
1: I think even uh, Dubs even said, "Jeez, even Waldo's getting—he's sick of this movie." <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I didn't disagree with anything you guys said about that movie. I think you guys were spot on. Like, in fact, I went back and read my original forum post after I saw the movie in the theater. And I was looking at it. I'm like, yeah, you guys mentioned that and that and that and that. My opinion lined up directly with with, with everything you guys had said. Um, so you know, that doesn't mean you know, not because you agreed with me means you guys did a good job. I'm just saying you did a good job, <laughs> and I, you happened to I agree with everything I had said. Because <laughs> if you don't agree with the boss, you know, no, no.
1: <laughs> if you don't agree with the boss, you're probably James Doe <laughs> talking about WFP episodes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, sometimes we see eye to eye. Most of the
1: time. yeah, most of the time we do. Yeah. But um, but speaking of the tirades, I, I for the first time in what kind like two years, I did a written tirade yeah. review that's gonna go up later this week. Yeah,
0: I I believe it's gonna go up this Friday. Um, I would have liked to have put it up um before the audio review, uh, but there was just I just didn't have time to sit down and edit it.
2: Yeah, um, no
0: problem, no problem. So, But yeah, it, it, look for it uh, this Friday on earth dot net.
1: All right, first one is from our good friend Preston Nelson, who writes, uh, So I've been thinking, do you gents think that the increasing quality that J- uh, JLU brings has something to do with the introduction of actual comic writers? J.M. DeMatis, Warren Ellis, uh, and Gail Simone, just to name three, wrote JLU episodes, uh, not to mention ad- adaptions of Alan Moore and Jim Steranko stories. Is this a reflection of actual comic book writers bringing something new to the table, or Tim and company getting the real hang of producing a show? Preston. PS, listen to First Issue Special only on earth2.net the show because really what could be better?
0: <laughs> yes, uh, just so people know, uh, First Issue Special it's 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 still going to be produced. It's just I've just been dragging my heels on it. It's all my fault that that's been delayed. Um, it will get back on track soon, I hope. So that's a message to all the listeners and, and to you, Preston. To you, I know, I know. I, I, I sent him books recently and I then never sent I never sent him another email saying, Hey, let's record on this day or when are you free? So my fault. I'm sorry about that. Um but anyways, anyways, uh as for uh the actual question here, I think it's a little of column A and a little of column B. You know, I, I do think the comic book writers uh coming in. Uh, helps to show out because they they clearly have a handle on these characters to begin with that 's not saying that the producers of the TV show don 't, but the comic creators i you know i think they 've been working on them in most cases longer than the producers have, so they know them uh, a, a little better. but the producers are also really getting into the swing of things, and when you mix those two elements together, you get what we 're seeing in jlu right now now that doesn 't mean it 's all pitch perfect as we 're going to see today. Um, but we're definitely getting something that's a much higher quality. What do you think, James?
1: I totally agree. And now, I don't know much about specific comic book writers, uh, except for a scant few, so I'll just say I agree. All right, next one is from Aaron, who writes Hey, guys, a couple of thoughts here. On the point of Red X's identity, I always looked at Red X in literary terms, not literal terms. The point of Red X is to represent Robin's sins and darkness incarnate. If they revealed an actual character in the mask, suddenly it's not about Robin, but someone else. He's supposed to be a nameless rogue, because that's all he is. Hell, maybe the suit is capable of self-movement, like the Batman Beyond suit, and it somehow became sentient. Either way, I think the idea of Red X is more powerful without a real identity than with one. If anyone uh, is truly Red X, it's Robin. I can go with that.
0: (laughs) I like the idea of the suit gaining sentience. Mm-hmm. I I don't think I ever thought of that. Did you ever throw that idea out there? Nope. Wow. I mean, granted, I always love my jokey guess that it's Larry, you know. <laughs> but the suit being sentient. Uh, okay, I think that's where I'm leaning now. Okay, but no, I, I agree with the other things that were said in that email.
1: Also, Amazo went to Lex Luthor because Luthor is the only person in the world who actually means a damn thing to him. There are trillions of people on billions of other planets that Amazo could potentially go to for understanding, but Lex is Amazo's adoptive father. Even if Lex lied to him before, Amazo has nothing to lose at this point and everything to gain. It's like how emotionally abused children sometimes end up seeking out their parents as adults. It's not like they suddenly trust their former abusers again is that they need a sense of closure or understanding from the person or persons responsible for raising them. Amezu is essentially a child in Tabula Rasa and an adult in the return. He seeks Alex because he needs to learn of the two things he can't learn through his travels in space, his genesis and his philosophical purpose. Yeah. That is a brilliant point. All right, next one is from Michael, who writes, Hey, guys, first time emailing, so I'm not sure if I'm sending this to the right place, but anyway. I'm 14 and from a small town called Penetanguishene in Ontario, Canada. I apologize if I mispronounced that. Uh Love the show and have been listening since Justice League. Have always been a big, uh been a huge Batman fan, but never Teen Titans. But you guys got me hooked. I also have a question. I'm not f- very familiar with Captain Marvel as a character, but just thought I would ask the ex- uh, ask the experts, when Captain Marvel is on the watchtower, what would happen if he said Shazam? Would a lightning bolt appear out of nowhere and strike the tower? Just thought I'd ask. Thanks for the amazing podcast. Teen Titans <laughs> is in continuity, and I know it's early, but have a Merry Christmas.
0: <laughs> Thank you. That, uh, that's an interesting question there. Um, <laughs> because, okay, first off, could lightning get to the tower because it would have to strike upward from the Earth To the tower. So I don't even know if that could happen. But then again, the lightning is magic-based, so maybe it's not actually coming from the clouds. Uh, But then, either way, would it rip through and potentially destroy the tower? Uh,
1: It's magic, so I'm going to say yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, I need someone who's much more familiar with the Captain Marvel slash Shazam family to write in and let us know if whenever Captain Marvel slash Shazam has said the magic word, and let's say he was indoors um, or on the space station, if it did damage the building he was in or, again, the space station he was on. Um, Because if, you know, he's just standing around in a living room and he goes Shazam and there's no damage to the house, then I would just say, no, it's not going to affect wherever he's standing. But I'm pretty sure in Kingdom Come, no, that was outside when, when that thing happens in Kingdom Come. I don't, I'm trying to leave that as spoiler-free as possible. Um, so, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, someone write in and let us know.
1: All right. Next email is actually unsigned, so I'm not sure who this is from, but it says, Hey, guys, great episode as usual. I wanted to write in to make uh, two notes about the Ultimatum episode. First of all, of all, you're absolutely right in your explanation of why Aquaman is involved in these events. But I am convinced that the true reason why he is here is to further the episode callbacks to Super Friends. Hence why the only four League members we see are Supes, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman, the same four uh, super friends that were featured in that series. Uh, Secondly, in the commentary for The Return, they actually make a reference to Ultimatum when they mention the flying machine Batman uses to get inside the building that is being attacked by the Ultiman a machine that Aquaman is hanging off of as, uh, as it's flying, no less. They call this machine the Whirly Bat, and apparently the creators put a lot of effort into designing it, and the fans subsequently hated it, despite <laughs> it only being on screen for about three seconds. I was just interested that both of forgot to mention it. I was curious as to what your thoughts on the Whirly Bat's first and only appearance were. Thanks for listening, guys, and I look forward to another great episode.
0: Yeah, I mean, it looks a little weird... But it's not like it's a big plot device or anything. As, as you said, it's, it's on screen for like 2.2 seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, I, so I I don't care one way or the other. What about you?
1: Yeah, I don't either. It was I, I barely even took
0: notice of it when yeah. I was watching that one. Yeah. I think as they say in the commentary, well, Batman had to get up there somehow. You know, <laughs> what else was he going to do? You know, and it was nice to see him bringing someone with him you know him carrying Aquaman basically instead of superman or wonder woman carrying batman as they'll sometimes do when he has to fly so which he it, hates <laughs> yeah exactly so it was a nice little role reversal and you know yeah whatever so they they, they made their own whirly bat that's fine whatever yeah uh, all right
1: next one is from joseph writes Hey guys, um, I was hoping for a live action movie, of The Question, and I was thinking that John Malkovich would be great because I saw him play a conspiracy buff in Red from DC Comics. What do you guys think? John Malkovich or someone else playing The Question?
0: Um, I think Malkovich has a good voice for it. Um, but if you're going to do The Question, you almost have to go with an actor like Jeffrey Combs or Coombs or however his last name is pronounced. Someone who who wouldn't mind hiding behind a mask or makeup for the bulk of the movie? You know, because when you hire on a big star and then put them behind a mask, especially one like the questions mask, you know, ego gets in the way sometimes and they're going to be like, well, I think my face should be on screen more or blah, blah, blah. And then it kind of takes away a big part of the character. And I don't know if if Malkovich or any big, big star would be willing to do that. So that's why I'm saying I I think you do have to go with someone like Jeffrey Coombs, who's really just a B-movie star and a voice actor to to, to step into the role and and do that. Um, What about you, James?
1: I know he's already played a masked uh, comic book character, Uh but Hugo Weaving. Yeah, yeah. Hugo Weaving would absolutely own as the question, and I firmly believe that.
0: Absolutely, and he's, he's clearly got no problem being behind a mask for a whole movie. Mm-hmm. As I was saying that, he was actually in my mind. I was thinking of V the entire V for Vendetta the entire time. Um, but and yeah, really Hugo
1: know. Weaving can almost do no wrong, so mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I, he's one of my favorite actors, yeah. And isn't he playing the Red Skull in the Captain America movie? Yeah, I believe so. So at some point he's going to be behind a mask there too, <laughs> uh, whether it's in the the first movie or subsequent sequels. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he he great voice, great presence, knows how to act behind a mask without overacting. Uh, got a very good build for for the question. Um, I don't know if he could play Vic though, because the question's mask does come off, and I don't know if I would buy him as Vic. The question's sure, but I don't know. But yeah, good choice. Definitely a very good choice there. All right, uh,
1: next one is from Manjeet, who writes, Hello, Mike and James. I've been listening to the podcast since 08, and I've really enjoyed every episode. As we are coming to the end of the DCAU's episodes, I wondered what you thought about the future of the DCAU. I know it's very unlikely that Tim and Deanie will do a new series in continuity, but what would you like to see? I think a series based around the question would be really cool <laughs> and would love to see a full-length movie covering the events mentioned in epilogue, uh, i.e. the near apocalypse of 09. Keep up the good work, Manj.
0: Yeah, I have said all along that I would love an in-continuity or not in-continuity question series. Preferably in-continuity, because then I could get Jeffrey back, play the character the same way. It could be before Justice League, after Justice League. It doesn't matter to me. I would watch it, and with or without James, I'd bring WFP back to, to review it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, you might be like, nah, I'm done. And I'm like, well, fuck it, it's coming back, you know? <laughs> Kidding me? I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know, I know you'd come back. For it. No, I mean, yeah, I, I, I would love, love a question series.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure it would be, you know, it would be detective stories. And yeah. I love, I am a sucker for great detective stories, so. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there, there's no reason... There couldn't be a question cartoon or even a live-action TV series. Again, if it was live-action, you got the problem with the mask that we just spoke about. But uh, you know, it's basically like your X-Files type of show with some crazy conspiracy guy, you know. But there's superhero elements mixed in there. If it's in the DC, if it's in the DC universe or the animated universe, you could throw in some mystical elements. So. You get uh, uh, stuff like you get like your supernatural vibe in there. I mean, there's there's so many genres that could be mixed for that show week in and week out. It, there's no reason it shouldn't be a hit. So yeah, I if any if any Warner Brothers execs are listening, make this happen. You guys are so missing out here.
1: All right, and I believe we have a voicemail up next.
0: Yes, we do, and it is from Dan. Hey, guys, this is uh, Dan from Phoenixville,
3: Pennsylvania again. Um, over the uh, long holiday weekend, I saw a thing on tvguide.com that they're going to be bringing um, Young Justice on in uh, 2011. It seems like a kind of like a Teen Titans thing where they have uh, Robin, uh, Superboy, Aqualad, Kid Flash is going to be in it. I know you guys may like that. But on the uh, little thing on the uh, on TV guy that they had it for, they had a big word behind uh, for the superheroes, Cadmus. Now, I know Cadmus was for something else that you guys just started explaining in your episodes, but I wonder what you guys feel about this new series that will be coming out, why Cadmus is attached to it. I'm sorry if I don't know. And if this will perhaps lead to more World's Finest podcasts. the DCAU may be expanding a
0: little bit next year.
3: Just wondered how you guys think, and uh, maybe
0: hoping this might not end. All right, guys. Later. So, uh, Dan, to to answer your question here, uh, no, the the reference to... Now, I haven't seen the Young Justice cartoon. Uh, James, have you? Nope, still haven't. Okay, Uh, but yeah, the the reference to Cadmus in there, no, that's not going to tie it to the DCAU or to Teen Titans or to just that Teen Titans why the hell did I throw Teen Titans in there um, or, or Justice League or Justice League Unlimited uh, Cadmus has been around I want to say since the 70s it was created by Jack Kirby um, it, it wasn't created specifically for Justice League Unlimited and the DC Animated Universe so no n- nice catch there but no, no, it's not going to be in continuity sorry Dr. Fate called it Solomon Grundy's back
4: the zombie guy? A heavy hitter. I read about him in the files. Yeah, he's tough, but we can handle it.
1: Funny thing is, he's supposed to be dead.
4: Aren't all zombies, by definition, dead?
1: Our... First episode of today is Wake the Dead. In this one, we see these downtrodden uh, college, well... No other way to put it. Nerds who are uh, trying to invoke a real magical spell to give themselves the strength to overcome the uh, bullies that are tormenting them. Uh, and they actually end up making a chalk rune uh, or sand rune, whatever it is, uh, on their floor uh, to allow this demon spirit thing to come through. However, one of the guys is startled by this thing and and like falls backwards and ruins the uh, rune and cause the demon to disappear. And they're kind of disappointed because they don't feel imbued with strength or whatever it was they were doing. Two of them leave. Well, Nearby, we see uh, a grave starting to uh, cave in. And uh, we go back to this dorm room, and there's a loud pounding on the door, and the the, uh, kid goes to answer it. But before he can, a humongous hand bursts through the door and grabs him by the head. And uh, we get a quick cut to the theme song. When we come back, uh, we're at Dr. Fate's tower where Aquaman is playing chess with Shira. And Aquaman grows tired of her lackluster play since apparently she used to best Batman repeatedly. Hmm. And, uh, he just smacks the board away when in total disgust. So Shira just walks away and she goes to see Enza. Meanwhile, Fate tells Aquaman that she's simply trying to find her way. And suddenly Fate senses something and, uh, teleports away. Uh, so he goes to Solomon Grundy's grave, and he sees that it has been torn open. So go back to the tower. Shayer is speaking to Inza. She's just laying out her troubles for us, uh saying she can't go anywhere now. She's a pride or a homeworld. Her identity as Girl was always a lie, and no one on Earth is ever going to trust her again. Uh, Inza just like, don't worry, you'll know what to do and where to go when the time is right. Meanwhile... Uh, John Stewart is going up to meet with his new special lady friend, Vixen, after her fashion show. And he tells her backstage that their date is canceled because of a Justice League emergency. So they reach the city, and Grundy is just tearing shit up everywhere. Uh, Lantern actually has to stop a bus from being tossed into a building while Vixen takes on Grundy all by herself. And it does not go well. Uh, Grundy eventually knocks Lantern unconscious. And uh, Vixen saves him, and Superman flies in to get him away. So Superman's trying to reason with Grundy, uh, but Grundy just says nothing and is just, like, full of rage and nothing else. And Superman tries to hit him again, but Grundy appears to be much, much stronger than before. And uh, Fate appears back at his tower and says, uh, uh, he tells Aquaman and Amazo, who has uh, joined the scene there, that uh, Grundy uh, left his grave under the power of chaos magic and they must help the League, because they are no match for this guy. And uh, Shair appears and says, look, they need to help Grundy before the League kills him, which, as Fate points out, is very, very unlikely. So uh, Fate says, all right, look, if you're truly ready to rejoin the fight, uh, here's the mace. He pulls it out of a pocket dimension and gives it to her, and uh, she's ready to make the comeback. So meanwhile, Grundy is just trashing the League, and he sends Superman flying into the support leg of a suspension bridge, so it starts to fall apart. But thankfully, Aquaman is there, and he saves a day with this giant squid uh, that holds the entire bridge up. Uh, but a woman and her daughter go careening off of the bridge in their car, and Shira flies in and saves them both. So afterwards, she's met by uh, GL, of all people, and uh, just she simply says, Oh, hate the beard. <laughs> and uh, so Superman climbs up the bridge and uh, Fate and Amazo meet up with all of them on uh, on top of the bridge, and uh, Superman's alright, let, let's just send the big guns in after him, uh, but Shayera says, look, I want to try talking to him first, and she attempts to reason with him, but he simply grabs her and slams her into a building. Yeah. So Amazo's like, okay, my turn, <laughs> and uh, he tries to Fry him with cosmic energy, but Grundy actually starts absorbing this energy, which means that Amazo's presence puts them at even greater risk, so he teleports away, leaving the rest of them to try and defeat him on their own. And uh, they manage to trap Grundy under the, the statue, but he escapes and grabs a hold of Vixen. Uh, Shayera jumps into the fray and uh, bashes Grundy with the mace, which actually hurts him, and she hits him a couple more times, and then hits him so hard that it sends him underground into the sewers. And uh the League gathers at the huge crater that she just left there. And uh, is like, why does it hurt him? And Fate says, look, your mace is Nth Metal. It was designed to repel magical power. So this is pretty much the only weapon on Earth that's going to be able to put, stop him and put him out of his misery. And Lantern is like, wait, what do you mean? And Shira replies, your favorite movie is Old Yeller. What do you think uh. it means? So uh Shira is pretty distraught because she feels like she's just going to have to she's really just betraying another friend, but fate says, look, it was never that simple. So Shaira resigns herself to what she must do. She goes down into the sewer. She finds Grundy sitting against a wall, really badly injured from the mace hits. And she just tells him to close his eyes. She raises her hand with the mace and we go back up top and we see lantern pacing. And Superman says, look, I'm going in after, but she emerges from the sewer saying it's done. And, uh, Later, a reporter asks Shire about her ousting from the Justice League, but Lantern says she was never kicked out. She can come back whenever she wants. And he then tells her that Superman casts a deciding vote after he recused himself from voting. So some of the crowd starts yelling at Shire, calling her a traitor and whatnot. And uh, Lantern gets all pissed off, but uh, Shire's like, look, I deserve it. So she starts walking away, but the uh, the mother that she saved earlier thanks her for saving hers and her daughter's lives. And Lantern says, you deserve that, too. And that's pretty much it.
0: Yep. What do you think? Um, A lot like the other Grundy episode, you know, where Grundy died and all that. Mm-hmm. I thought, like, the first, like, n- you know, 95% of it was really kind of generic, not so great action and characterization but then when we get to the last few minutes that's where all the heart is and that's what brings this episode up for me i mean i'm serious it's like almost a direct parallel to the last time we addressed these characters
1: in the not cthulhu episode right
0: yeah i I can't remember the name of that one though um terror beyond i believe okay yeah, it's it's so similar to that one for me. I think this one does have better characterization, I will say that. But I still think overall, the action is kind of generic. Uh, the characters are kind of generic. I just I'm not feeling anything until after Shaira Until after yeah Shire, Shire or whoever knocks him into the sewer and everything from that point onward is great. Everything before that not so much in my mind. Um, what about you?
1: That's pretty much my exact thoughts right there. Um, this is not a favorite of mine, yeah. uh, but I, I, like you, I think the last, like, five minutes of this episode are fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. This episode does have some pretty good lines, though. Uh, when uh, Amazo and Fate teleport onto the bridge, and Superman climbs up there, and uh, Superman's like, wait, we let him out of the tower now? And Fate just says, I'm curious to see how you would dissuade him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Burn. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's really not a whole lot to this episode. I'm not high on the vixen character. I, I, her character
0: just kind of annoyed me. Yeah. Uh, uh, rest of this. I'm sorry. Let me jump in right here. I didn't realize that the vixen and John relationship only started one episode before John goes into the future and sees his son with Hawkgirl. Mm-hmm. I was like, really? It seems like the relationship with him and Vixen was then only created and then forced into the show at the last minute to create some sort of, you know, obviously it's there to create tension, you know what I mean? But it would have been better if John and Vixen were dating almost from the very first episode of JLU instead of making it clear one episode before that happens. Because now it seems like she has become a plot device and not a character unto herself, and, yeah. and it makes it. Because, like, look at the John and Shayera relationship. There was so much build up to that, and it was great when they finally kissed. You know, now granted, I knew we weren't going to get that again with with John and Vixen, but to just bring it up one episode beforehand, no, no, it's absolutely forced at this point. You know, and I like the stuff with John and Vixen later. I'm just complaining that they're doing it one episode before. Uh, the, what's it called? The once and future thing.
1: I was actually going to ask a question. I, I, Amazo is like panicking when Grundy starts absorbing his cosmic energy or whatever. He's like, I must teleport several light years distance away to come up with a, another plan. And I'm just thinking to myself, OK, dude, um, you realize that you could just replicate Hawk Girl's mace, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, just say, just saying. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, Ah. I've got a big problem with Amazo and Fate being there to begin with. I understand Shire is hanging out with them. It's the first time she's gone back into battle since um, her betrayal was revealed. They're going to be at her side. I get that. What what I'm not keen on is you have these two godlike characters. They're both deus ex machina. And then they find these extremely convenient, and by convenient I mean stupid, Ways of getting them out of the battle. Oh my god, Grundy's absorbing my ultra godlike power! How's he doing that, Amazo? Shifty eyes, shifty eyes. I don't know! I'm running away! Boo! You know? And then Fate, (laughs) I don't even remember what his excuse was. He's just like, I am out of here. And then he leaves too. And then just randomly pops back up.
1: Yeah. Well, I didn't didn't remember Fate just leaving the fight, although I... Because all I remember him saying is that like this chaos magic is this thing with no known uh parameters or whatever he says, and yeah. you know my magic is as useless as candy corner, whatever the hell he says. I don't know. But yeah, I I didn't remember seeing him well, like leave the fight. Even if he
0: didn't, even if he didn't physically run away like Amazo did, he's they still found a way to to explain away why he doesn't just snap his fingers and teleport Grundy into the sun. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it, it's just this thing that just doesn't work for me at all. You know, and that's the problem when you when you have characters like Amazo and like Dr. Fate hanging around. You always have to find ways for them to... It's like what they used to do with John, uh, that being John Jones. Oh, oh, There was always a psychic attack knocking him out. And they're doing it all over again with these two. Well, this is the last appearance of Dr. Fate. Wow. So, well, that's fine. Good riddance. You know, <laughs> I know I love the design of Dr. Fate, but if that's the way they're going to treat him, then I don't want to see him. But we get more Amezo?
1: No, this is the last appearance of Amezo too. Oh, okay,
0: you just said Fate, so I wasn't uh, sure. Sorry. Oh, that, uh, that's it's a actually shame, it's I, also I I was I was liking Amazo here. So, you know, or he's been you know, he's been growing on me. You know, we both said last night we like yeah. Robert, what's his name? Robert Picardo, right? Right. Doing the voice, yeah. so it's a shame that we don't get more of him. I'm sorry. What were you going to say? It's who else has last appearance too? Aquaman. Really? No more Aquaman. No more Aquaman. Oh, that's a shame.
1: Because I think this was. I think there was another like embargo, wasn't there? They were going to try an Aquaman series oh, or something. Oh,
0: this probably would have been right around that time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, mm-hmm. seriously. Because Aquaman is badass in here. He shoots uh-huh. his spear through Grundy's arm it doesn't hook his shirt he spears grundy through the forearm when i saw that i was like holy crap yeah (laughs) that was unexpected and i'd seen this one before i just completely forgot about it
1: i think the only other thing the only other note i have here is that there was a hellboy figure on the dresser in the dorm room and uh did you notice what design the water bottle in the dorm room had on it no it was a red X symbol.
0: Was it? Yes. <laughs> well...
1: Not not any other kind of X. It was a clear Teen Titans red X symbol.
0: Very interesting, because on the table, there was also uh, Wicked Scary, the DVD from uh-huh. Teen Titans. Um, so two, two connections there. But, you know, you were talking about the Hellboy statue, or a Hellboy-like statue. Um, uh-huh. There was also a uh, an homage to Spider-Man on the wall, uh, but it was like, oh, there was Spider-Man's profile, but his mouth was uncovered, sort of like Batman's cowl, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. there was a Swamp Thing poster. I'm trying to do this from memory. There was a star, a Starfleet-like logo. Um, there was a real small image of, uh, uh, from the Dark Knight Returns. Those, those, uh, I think they're, not the mutants. Yeah, the mutants with the, well, whatever, the guys with the little spikes on their head and those, like, Cyclops-like visors. Mm-hmm. One of those drawings was on the wall. There's a lot of Easter eggs hanging around the, in the in the bedroom of those geeks. Oh, and was it just me, or did the design they drew on the floor look like a Pokeball?
1: Yeah, it did. And there was you're, an extra a,
0: line in it, but it's a fucking Pokeball.
1: Yeah, the rune,
0: the rune <laughs> yeah. that they were drawn.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> just a couple more things. I did like how at the end that random woman and her kid that Shira saved came back. Mm-hmm. And we're the ones that were all grateful and, you know, made her see that, look, she, you know, she did do a very bad thing, but there are people that are willing to forgive her.
1: And also, they had a nice touch there, because um, remember Hawk Girl said that her, her code name of Hawk Girl was always a, a, a lie. Yeah. Uh, the woman calls her Chica Halcone, which is Hawk Girl in Spanish.
0: Ah, okay. I, I was, I was guessing that's what that meant, but I wasn't sure. Okay. Um, And the last note I have, and I could be way off about this, but there was that one um commercial break cliffhanger where Grundy picks up Vixen. He's got, you know, an arm in one hand and a leg in another, and he raises her above his head as if he's going to rip her in two. And uh-huh. that really makes me think that that was an homage to a Peter David written Avengers story called something like The Last Avengers Story. Uh, it's, it was like an it was like a what if what if slash Elseworlds story where something happens to the Hulk and he goes on a mad rampage, uh, goes completely insane and he picks up Tigra, another animal female character, animal based female character. You see where I'm going with this? And he rips her in half. I really got to think that was an homage to that. I could be drawing a connection where there is none, but I see it as a comic fan and knowing these guys that produce this are comic fans. I don't know. I don't know. Could
1: be. And I, I'm glad you said that. I actually remembered one thing I wanted to note. The uh, the quick cut uh, to the theme song, that was one of the best that they have ever done, where the hand just grabs the dude, oh, and it's just like, yeah. just go away. Yeah, just like, quick cut away.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't write that down, but I did thank you for bringing that up, because I I wanted to note that too, yeah.
1: We still don't know much about him. Obviously, he's a time-traveling warlord. He's littered the streets with buildings he's stolen from other time periods.
4: He's not a warlord. At least he wasn't at first. When we chased him to the Old West, all he was stealing was historical trinkets.
3: He's causing severe damage to the space-time continuum. The degradation is increasing exponentially. I've got something. When we were in the Old West, I got a good look at his time belt. I've written a program that should disable it. If we can get close enough to upload it.
4: If we can get our hands on the belt, maybe we can stop any of this from ever happening in the first place. We could even undo the deaths
1: of your friends. Diana! She never left the island, or she was never born. Time is running out.
0: Literally. Okay, so next up is the two-part, the once and future thing, and how we're going to do this. Um, is we're gonna t- we're gonna synops or I'm gonna synopsize the first one and trust me, James is gonna help me with this. Um, and then we'll speak about the episode itself. Then we'll synopsize the second part, and then we'll speak about that. So in the first part, we are fifty some odd years in the future in a very familiar, futuristic-looking Gotham City, and uh, there's there's this hag of a wife who's screaming at her husband, "Oh, you're a loser! What the fuck!" And, uh, she, she goes into the garage to take out some trash and we see all these artifacts in a uh, museum, like display, display cases. And she's yelling for her husband, whose name is uh, David or something like that. And, uh, you know, it turns out he's hiding behind one of the displays claiming he's chronicling his stuff. And he's like, look, I've got Cleopatra's comb and I've gotten early draft of the, what is it? The Magna Carta. Yep. And, uh, she's like, she's like. She's like, how can you afford all this crap? You know, she's like, you're a, you're a shitty professor. You can afford this. And he's like, no, 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 no. Um, I, I kind of stole it. And she's like, you stole junk, you know? And he's like, well, remember when I got in trouble some years ago when I was talking about time travel and she's like, yeah. And you know, he's like, well, and she figures out, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you invented a time machine so you could go back in time and steal people's junk. You know, so now she's doubly mad, you know. And he's like, well, I can't disturb the timeline. I can't take anything that's important. I just want these minor things for my collection because they're interesting to me. And she's like, you're a loser. She's just repeating this again. You're a loser. I should have married this other guy that my mom wanted me to marry. I hate you, that kind of thing. And he's like, well, screw you. And he runs away. Uh, By running away, I mean, he jumps into a time portal. And uh, so we cut to the watchtower in, like, the normal timeline of the DC animated universe. And uh, uh, we see, uh, what is it, like Hawkgirl and Wonder Woman in line at the cafeteria. Uh, Wonder Woman is none too pleased that Shire is there. We then cut to uh, Green Lantern and Batman sitting down having a talk. And, uh, you know, Batman starts razzing GL about his love life. And uh, GL then starts razzing Batman about his with Wonder Woman. And Batman's all like, oh, you know, he's coming up with excuse after excuse as to why he can't date anybody, especially Wonder Woman. And, you know, it leads to the classic line where he's like, oh, she's this, she's that. And she's standing right behind me, isn't she? You know, <laughs> and she she just leans in and she's like, oh, keep digging, Bruce. You know, <laughs> well, what do you got? There's there's some sort of intruder alert or something. They run off to uh, Batman's dorm and, uh, they see David, um, stealing, uh, a utility belt, and he freaks out, he's like, no, 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 no one was supposed to know I was here, uh, I, 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 I gotta leave, uh, so he jumps into a portal, and Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, and Batman, they jump into the portal, too, um, they're, you know, they're, they're bounced around the time stream, and a Green Lantern puts them in a little bubble, and tries to, uh, you know, stable them as they go through, um, or when they come out, it turns out they are in the Old West, like 1880-something, I want to say. Yeah, 83, S- I something think. Something like that, yeah. And, uh, you know, some some dastards try to rob them and uh, even imply that they're going to rape Wonder Woman at one point. Well, not rape her, but it's just more like, you know, what do you have to offer us? So, you know, it's kind of clear what's mm-hmm. going on there. And uh, they, they quickly kick the shit out of those guys. And, uh, you know, they figure out that they, they have time traveled. And uh, so they steal these guys' clothes, and uh, they, they, they head into town. And once they're there, uh, they go into a saloon. And, uh, you know, just to get, the, they're trying to get the lay of the land, seeing how things work here um, before they start asking questions, looking for this this time-traveling guy. And uh, they come across a poker game that goes wrong uh, at the game. Uh, who? What's the villain's name at the game, the, the cowboy? Tobias Manning. That's it. Tobias Manning. Um he's playing against Batlash. Um what's his name? Bartholomew something lash? What? Lash. Uh, there's more to name. his name and I can't remember, and I know I know the character from the I think it's too.
1: Bartholomew Aloysius Lash that's or something.
0: It. Yeah, yeah. And uh so what was the cowboy's name again? Do you have the bad one? Manning, Manning, that's it. Manning. Yeah. So he and Batlash are playing poker and you know Manning's got four kings and an ace but Batlash has four aces and a king so someone's cheating um well the, the you know the 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 bad cowboy whose name I can't remember again don't don't say it don't say it it's fine I'll just call him the bad cowboy um you know he pulls out a six shooter but it's some futuristic sci-fi six shooter thing um Batlash is arrested so it's clear this guy is somehow in charge of this town and uh what oh yeah so they take him out of there and wonder woman's like well we got to save him and batman is like you know what we got to save the time stream one guy is not important a little out of character i will say and wonder woman's like okay it's decided we'll break him out at dawn and green lantern just smirks at batman like dude you are so pussy whipped and Batman just stares at him like, shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's this real quick, subtle moment that it's great. So, of course, they go to the jail to try to break him out. And uh, while they're at the jail, uh, after they break him out, they see David, the time traveler. But he's got this, like, kind of scruffy beard going on. And they're like, wait a minute, what the hell are you doing here in this jail? And why do you look like you got a beard all of a sudden? He's like... Well, time travel's funny like that. Even though you were just behind me in the time stream, I've actually been here for six months. Uh, that cowboy you ran into—he stole all my gear. Blah blah blah. So we got to stop him. And he's like, "Look, I'll take my punishment like a man. Just get me back home. I'm tired of living in this in this shithole." So they agree to this. But uh, the, you know, the, the dastardly cowboy, bad guy, sheriff guy—I I don't know, it's <laughs> Manning, whatever it is. Uh, there you go. Yeah. He and his goons they start firing on the police station, and uh, you know the the heroes are trapped. Uh, but all of a sudden, they're saved by the cavalry of uh, okay, what was the Indian's name? I can't remember his name.
1: Oh, uh, o- Ohiesa Smith, right?
0: Uh, El Diablo mm-hmm. and Jonah Motherfucking Hex. Woo! Uh, they, <laughs> they, they, those guys they they take down all of the all the bad guys uh, the, in the Justice League, they, they come out of the jail and, you know, they explain the situation to them. So they decide, you know, there's got to be a team up. And, uh, but before that, what we learn is that the, uh, Native American used to be the sheriff of this town, but Manning, uh, kicked his ass, uh, after he acquired, uh, David's, uh, time traveling belt and, uh, took over the town and now runs the town in his own little, like, Labor slash slave force. I don't. Why is he mining for gold or something? Did they ever say why he's doing this? I don't even know. Because he's a douchebag. Okay, good enough for me. So, uh, you know, they decide they have to stop him. They have to get the belt back. They have to try to reset, you know, or set time straight. So, um, you know, they all mount up and they, they 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 head off to this guy's fortress. And in so doing, it's they use the old Justice League theme, don't they? But it's kind of got an old West flair to it. Yeah. Yeah. Very
1: much a magnificent seven. Yeah. Deal.
0: Yeah. It was very cool seeing that. But, anyways, they storm the fortress. Um, laser guns, security cameras, tanks, flying robotic dinosaurs, just tons of stuff just starts coming at our heroes. Um, they're able to, uh, even Max, there's even fucking Max. And, uh-huh. uh, they, they're able to, you know, take all of that down. And, uh, You know, they, they, they take down Manning and, uh, so it looks like this episode's going to end and and just be a one-parter, but no, what happens is Batman, he's got the, uh, time traveling belt and, uh, what does he say? Like, how do I deactivate this or how do I work this or something? No, he doesn't
1: say anything. He's just holding it and, uh, Clinton just says, oh, you, you forgot to reset this such
0: and such. Let me do it for you. And yeah. And yeah, so Batman gets shocked by the belt. He, uh, David, David Clinton, he, he grabs it. and He's like, psych. And, uh, he turns the belt on, jumps into a portal. Uh, Wonder Woman grabs the, uh, almost unconscious Batman. And, uh, so she, along with Green Lantern Batman, they go into the portal. Um, who is it? Batlash? It just goes, huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's the end of the old West series. But, uh, when they go into the future, they land in the future Gotham and Neo Gotham, where we see the Joker's. They've apparently been modified, um, and uh, you know the Justice League is you know they've just come through this portal, so they're kind of like, what's going on? They're trying to get their the situation uh, uh, straight in their heads, and we see the future Justice League: Batman Beyond, Static Shock, um, Warhawk. And Warhawk is that his Warhawk, name? Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. and uh, they they're all about to go toe to toe with the Joker's when Warhawk looks over at Green Lantern and he goes, Dad, cliffhanger. So, James, what were you thinking of the first part here?
1: Ten. Oh, I'm sorry. This isn't where we give the grades. I I apologize. Um, Yeah, I think I have more notes for this two-parter than any other episode we have ever reviewed. Okay,
0: well, go for
1: it. Um, Yeah, I I just... Every second of this entire two-parter is just epically cool. Um, This is absolutely in my top three favorite jail uh, slash jail you episodes. I... Fuck! Every second of this is just fun yeah. and epic. Uh, I love it. I love it to death. Um, the just the re- the interactions between GL and Bruce, um, the J- Jonah Hex yeah. for fuck's sake, Jonah <laughs> Hex. <laughs> um, they, I, I really, I have all my notes are just like, yeah, this was cool. I love this. I love that. I love this. I love that. Um, so. My overall thoughts are going to be like non-existent because it's just going to be like, oh, I loved this. Oh, I loved that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to have to turn it back to you. What do you think?
0: Well, all my notes for this first half, I've, I've already read off when I was doing the synopsis. Um, but that, that doesn't mean I can't talk about it. It's still a very just exciting episode that has really good action and some nice comedy beats, too. Again, up in the cafeteria, you know, the stuff that goes on between GL, Wonder Woman and Batman, because you don't ever see Batman embarrassed or worried or just like just nervous, just nervous about a situation. (laughs) And and here he is because he you know, okay, yeah, he plays the suave Bruce Wayne. And when he does play the suave Bruce Wayne, you know, he he can have any woman he wants, but that's not really who Bruce is. You know, he he probably really is awkward around women, um, especially when he really cares about them. And he really does care about Wonder Woman as a colleague and as a potential love interest. And here he is, foot in mouth, basically almost stammering over himself, completely embarrassed, you know, <laughs> always coming up with an excuse not to be with her. And she catches him, you know, and it's so great to see him portrayed that way. Because it's out of character, but you can still believe that it's Batman. Um, really great. And like I said, there's the moment in the saloon where GL gives Batman that little look about your pussy with, and <laughs> Bruce just looks at him like, shut up, or that ring is going up your ass. Um, <laughs> you know, so there's just these little moments like that that are just great, um, yeah, seeing Jonah Hex, seeing the the weird West characters. You know, I don't know much about the Native American guy. I don't know much about El Diablo. I know a little about Bash, Bat Batlash. I know more about Jonah Hex. But just seeing them interacting with the Justice League and the way they do it, too. You know, eventually Jonah Hex is like, I reckon you folks are time travelers. And, the, and Batman's like, why do you suspect that? And what does he say? I've lived a weird life or something like that. <laughs> I've had an interesting life. That's it. That's it. It's like okay, okay, yeah, works for me.
1: (laughs) I got to tell you, Jonah Hex wielding a rocket launcher is is goddamn epic. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh,
2: Yeah.
1: Um. Yeah, I'm. I guess I'm just gonna start rattling off these just goofy notes I have, but. um, Um, Something called M's Dress is on David's stuff to steal. And considering his last name, I have to think that's a reference to Monica Lewinsky.
0: Oh my god, I didn't think about that. I thought it might have been a reference to the Judy Dench version of M from the Pierce Brosnan James Bond movie. Because of course, Casino Royale, where she played M again, wasn't out yet. So mm-hmm. I thought that would have been that's what oh no though. Clinton M and Monica, sure. I bet you're <laughs> right. Wild. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah.
1: Um I think one of my favorite moments of this episode is just about I don't know, two seconds maybe. But for a second there, they kinda of make you wonder if uh the Native American oh yeah, uh whatever his name is, uh Smith is giving Tobias Manning the last of the Mohicans treatment like oh, cutting his yeah, heart out
0: yeah holy shit yeah cause they even play with the music a little and everybody's looking at him yeah, like the what sound-
1: are you doing the sound
0: effects yeah and too. he turns around he's just cut off the belt right yeah, yeah. this what
1: you're looking for
0: yeah Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: totally I-, I have to think that's a uh, a reference to last of the Mohicans where uh, Wes Studi's character cuts out the, uh, the British soldier's heart okay that is one of my favorite moments of this, just this entire thing, because it's like, Whoa. yeah, went, what? <laughs> especially after all the little comedy moments we've had yeah. leading up to
0: it. Yeah. Oh, and I did like that moment where, uh, I forget who it was. It was either Batman or GL. We're going to go help him stop manning and hex mm-hmm. stopped. Whoever it was and was like, a, a man's got to settle his own debt or whatever. Yeah. He says like, Ooh, yeah. settle his own accord. That's it. it. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, okay, that was nice. Very nice. Yeah. Uh,
1: of course, we got to mention uh, when they take the the uh, criminal's uh, clothes and uh, Lantern's like, those empty holsters aren't going to scare yeah. anybody. You sure you don't want one of these? <laughs> Positive.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of that scene, I love when Wonder Woman's, like, complaining about the boots. And Batman's like, you fight crime in stilettos. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, stilettos that fit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and, and earlier when she's like, those are the biggest, slowest bullets I
0: have ever seen. <laughs> yeah. And she's not even looking at the bullets as she's slowly blocking them. You know? Um it's it almost reminded me of like uh that 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 scene at the end of the first Matrix where Neo just slows down so much when he's blocking Agent Smith's punches after he finds out that he is the one. Spoilers. You know, and he's just like all <laughs> blase about like Oh yeah, boring. It's. I'm wondering if it was an homage to that. I doubt it was, but <laughs> it yeah, makes me knows. think about it. Yeah, uh,
1: I I do love the uh, the Magnificent Seven moment we got there where they're all seven. Well, technically eight with uh, David there, yeah. but he's not really. He doesn't really count. Right. Uh, but yeah, with the seven of them walking through the uh, the the uh, town. Mm-hmm. Um one one little minor animation glitch I noticed. Um. I liked that they didn't forget that Batman's grapple line was hmm. still in the sign of the Gulch yeah. and they, they didn't forget it. That it was there, but then the next camera pan, then it's gone. Exactly.
0: Yeah. I noticed that too. I didn't write it down, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely did notice that. Cause I was like, Oh, it's cool. They left it there. Not for long though. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like you could say someone grabbed it. Cause it's very clear. No one does.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I mean, really my, I think my one gripe with this first part is I don't like the stereotypical bitchy wife character. You know, I mean, we see that in in, in in TV and cinema all the time. And in the DCAU, they're better than that. Than just the, you're a loser. I should have married the guy my mother said I should have. It's like, you know what? Then leave the fucker and go marry the guy that your ma said you should have. You know, what are you still doing in that relationship?
1: Well, i got to admit, she does have a point that he's a loser. He could have gotten the winning winning lottery tickets from
0: how many different days? Oh, no, exactly. I'm not saying he's not a loser. It's the way they were portraying her. You know, the -the over-the-top, completely cliched bitch of a wife is what I take issue with. Um, Are there people out there like that? Yeah, there are. But I think they could have been... They could have gotten, still had that scene without her being as over the top as she was. You know, and I'm not blaming the actress at all. I'm blaming the way it was written.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That That's where I'm putting all the blame, if you want the truth. But I really think that's my one gripe with this first part. I, I, I honestly can't think of anything else. Um, do you, Anything else you want to say about this first part?
1: I'm ready to get into Neo-Gotham again. Okay,
0: so the second part of the Once and Future Thing. And it should be noted that both of these are called, like, the Once and Future Thing Part 1, I think, like, Weird Western Tales, and then uh, the Once and Future Thing Part 2, but I don't know the title of the second one. Time, Warped. Okay, yeah, so it's a two-parter with different, you know, with, with subtitles. I don't know if they've done that before.
1: No, I don't think so. Yeah, so
0: that that was a nice little uh uh thing they were doing there. But anyways, we're in Neo Gotham and uh the the modern Justice League is fighting the future Justice League or depending on your perspective, the current the, the modern Justice League is fighting alongside the past Justice League as they go up against as I said these um, genetically and technologically enhanced version of the Joker's. The D's Dee are like Jamie Madrox. Whenever they take a bump, they 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 split in half, um, creating a duplicate. Um, the hyena guy has robotic arms. Um, Chuckles has n- like no legs, but he's like on a ball or something. Um, and
1: he has uh, the Darth Maul lightsaber. That's
0: right. I forgot <laughs> about that. Um, the what, what what's the Michael Rosenbaum Scarecrow-y character's name? Don't oh, uh, Rosen- cool, what? cool, cool, cool. Yeah, what's his? Oh, he's got a, a saw for a hand now.
1: Yeah. Um, and he he his uh, little trick or treat bucket causes like massive flares everywhere that yeah. can destroy Green Lantern bubbles. Yeah, and I feel, since they're yellow, and I, I guess.
0: What's who's the real big guy? Oh, a uh, Bonk. Yeah, what's what's Bonk's enhancement?
1: He can make. He can warp his hand into a giant hammer. Yeah. Attacking
0: static with. That's right. So, you know, us who have followed Batman Beyond are going, wait a minute, something's off here. And uh, the Justice League, they're really getting their asses handed to them. Um, And it gets to one point where Batman, that being Terry, opens up a boom tube and he's like, we are out of here. And everybody's like, the Justice League doesn't run from a fight. And Terry's like, I don't remember putting this up for a vote. It's very Bruce Batman in in that moment. Uh, quite cool. Uh, but the boom tube, the mother box gets knocked out of his hand, um, thus, thus closing the, the boom tube. Um, and uh, Terry's a little distracted. So Green Lantern's like, hey, kid, you know, keep your head in the game. There's always another way out. So what Green Lantern does is he creates a giant green maze um that allows the heroes to get away and distracts the villains for a while um with an assist from uh good old static oh that's right because he does send up, send up that big like uh, uh ball of light or something right yeah yeah. so uh the heroes regroup and you know they're like oh where are we going the watchtower and the, the the future justice league they're all like well no not exactly And instead, they go to just some, like, run-down building. It's like an old factory. Um, It's uh,
1: Hamilton Hill
0: High School. Is that what it was? Oh, that's right. There were lockers. I should have picked up on that. Okay. And uh, they're there, and uh, they start asking, well, where's the rest of the league? What happened to the Watchtower? And Terry's like, you know, that was a bad day, and we lost a lot of people. Um, I think they even refer to Wonder Woman having been lost that day. And, uh, you know lo and behold, who should show up in the scene but elderly Bruce Wayne. So, uh, Batman, that being uh, Bruce Wayne Batman, walks up to future elderly, this is going to get so confusing, future elderly <laughs> Bruce Wayne and Terry gets in the middle of them and he's all like, Bruce Wayne, Batman. Batman, Bruce Wayne. Or have you met? And they're both like, shut up! <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they're given the lay of the land that Basically, David, Kronos, or whatever he's calling himself at this time, um, is is fucking around with the time stream. That that's all it really is, and uh, they they got to stop him. So they decide that they're going to uh, basically try to find one of the Jokers and interrogate them. Right?
1: Uh, not yet. Okay. This
0: what is... happens that I'm missing then?
1: Well, this is just like they're they're talking about. Yeah, the time stream is becoming polluted. Yeah. It's becoming you know, fluid, which is the worst possible thing that could ever happen and uh, is this Wonder where, Woman.
0: Yeah, this is where Wendy disappears, right? No, no, this is oh.
1: Wonder Woman just says, look, we, we should just compare notes. And this is when we go to the Titanic where Cronus right. has gathered everybody.
0: Right. And you know, he's talking to the Jokers who are his who are his gang and uh, he's like, you know, I gave you guys one task, that's to kill the Justice League. You couldn't do that, blah, blah, and Somehow he figures out that there's a traitor in the myths, right?
1: Yeah, because Bonk is like, but the the JLU showed up. We had we we they got in our way, and uh, Cronus is like, hmm, this is curious because yeah. I only told you guys where Batman, Wonder Woman, and Green Lantern would show up. Yeah, so somebody is ratting us out,
0: <laughs> right? And somehow he uses his time traveling powers to to show a video of Batman Beyond giving a bribe to chuckles so uh chronos he grabs chuckles and uh sends him you know to the, the prehistoric the, the dinosaur era and uh he leaves him there and chuckles is all like you know what fine i'll be running this joint in oh god and a giant meteor comes down and obliterates the dinosaurs and chuckles <laughs> so there we go that's the end of him and uh so when Kronos comes back he's like do you know what killed the dinosaurs? The ice age. Oh wait, no, he didn't do that. <laughs> but, anyway, that was a really bad Arnold Schwarzenegger voice. But no, he does. He does make that joke, not the ice age one though. But what do you call? He tells them that you know if there's any more traitors in the miss, or if you guys can't get this job done, you're gonna go back to that time too, and you're you're gonna join Chuckles on that asteroid. So yeah, not good times. So uh what happens from here?
1: Okay, so this is when he sends sends them all off and. Uh... Uh, his wife Enid is pretty much begging him to take uh, to re- take her mother out of uh, wherever he's keeping her prisoner, I guess, in some like other dimension or yeah, something. Yeah, they with never his
0: say helps. they never say where <laughs> she is, but you get the idea that it's, it's so bad, bad that they can't say it on TV. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: yeah. and, uh huh. And eventually, this just pisses uh, David off so much. He's like, "Nothing is ever good enough for you." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just he just walks away. Yeah. And this is when we go back to uh, the Justice League headquarters.
0: Yeah, because uh, I'm, I'm blending all these scenes together.
1: Yeah, it's this is a very hard thing to summarize. Yeah, but, but uh,
0: they're talking some more. They're talking about the timeline being corrupted. Wonder Woman disappears, right?
1: Yeah, pretty much just out of nowhere. Yeah, completely,
0: she just like, almost like Back to the Future, what happens to Marty McFly? Where he's about to disappear, but Wonder Woman goes to Full Monty. Well, no, she doesn't, actually. That would have been nice, though. But anyways, no, she, she completely disappears, and uh, they're like, whoa, okay, this is really getting screwed up. So then Batman, that being Bruce, is hanging around on a rooftop, and...
1: Uh, well, but before that, you get, uh, he mentions uh, that, and this is actually before Diana disappears, but he says, look, I've, I got a good look at his time belt. I've managed to write a program that will disable it, but I need to get close enough to it, and uh, that's when Diana disappears, and then they're, like, panicking, and they're like, we've got to find Kronos. Uh, he's like, somebody says, well, how? You know, this is, he could be anywhere, and uh, <laughs> there we Batman's like, uh, sometimes the old ways are best, and Terry just says, "This a lot of things have changed since your time. You, you're not going to recognize the city. Yet. And <laughs> Bruce is just like, are criminals still stu- uh, still superstitious and cowardly? And old Bruce is like, yep, <laughs> good enough for me. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh,
0: now we go to the rooftop. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we see Batman Bruce hanging out on a rooftop. Um, Ghoul approaches him, and he's like, so you're the real Batman um, You must be pretty stupid to just be hanging out here. And he's like, I'm not as stupid as you think I am. The rest of the league shows up. They all jump ghoul. And uh, Bruce is going, you know, Batman Bruce is, uh, you know, going to interrogate him in the way he does to try to find out where David is. So he grabs him and carries him over to the ledge and hangs him upside down. Um, and he's like, I'm going to drop you. And uh, old man Bruce is like, I can never believe I was that green. He grabs Ghoul, whips him across the roof, walks up to him, cane in hand, and he's like, this is how you interrogate someone. And uh, we don't see what happens, but next time we see Ghoul, he's spilling his guts, you know, just this, that, and the other, including, I went to bed till I was 14. So whatever. Yeah, they're just trying to figure out where where Kronos is, and and Ghoul is like, look, I really don't know. All I know is that he supposedly bounces around every night sleeping anywhere he wants in the city, but his wife does hang out in one place. So they go to find the wife to try to talk to her, to, to see if she'll get on their side, if they can reason with her. And uh, when they get to her, she's like, look, you know what, he's he's still a loser and he's got my mother trapped and I just, I just want to, I really want to stop him. So... Whatever, you know, uh, she, and what she says is, look, he just wants people to think that he bounces around, but where he really sleeps is, and then we cut to what the Coliseum
2: Uh and
0: inside the Coliseum is the old prison from the the first part of this two-parter and he's sleeping in his old jail cell and, uh, his wife throws stealth into the wind. Batman Uh beyond even makes a crack. He's like nice stealth lady. Uh, pulls the, 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 the cover off of her husband, starts yelling at him all over again. He, how does he get away? He just ports to the future again or something? I don't even know. Yeah,
1: he brings the chokers in through a portal, and then he just yeah, teleports away.
0: That's right. So another big battle ensues. And me, mind you, in the meantime, we're starting to see that time is collapsing. The sky's kind of going wonky. Um, So whatever. We see, like, some redcoats. They show up. What else shows up in that arena? Um,
1: Woolly mammoth. Yeah,
0: uh, that, I think that's actually yeah, that might it. be it. Yeah, um, but everybody is just getting the shit kicked out of them. I mean, uh, the hyena dude uh, starts mauling a warhawk. Um, the Dee's like a whole bunch of them, grab Terry with their like laser lassos, uh, grab all of his limbs with their lassos, and we don't see it, but Terry is basically ripped in half or quartered, actually. Um, and we know he dies because uh we cut to old man Bruce in in the high school in front of the uh computer and I, I wish you would have yelled McGuinness, but he just yells Terry and I think I could be wrong, but I could swear we hear a slight beeping stop. Almost like an EK what's that an E K G meter? The heart the heart monitor, like in hospitals. I could swear yeah. we hear one flat line, but I could've been making that up. And he just hangs his head in in sadness. So we know Terry's dead. Um Things are just going crazy. Oh, I forgot to even mention, at one point when they were confronting the wife, Green Lantern, John, mm-hmm. fate like time shifts into Hail fucking Jordan. So the episode loses a point right there from me. So, <laughs> uh, That's fucked up. And I know you're joking, or at least I hope you're joking. I am joking, because I think it's okay. very funny. I like the design of Hail there, and I thought they did capture him well. And I love how he just steps in and he's like, T- another time shift, I'm up to speed, and just keeps going, you know? Carry on. <laughs> yeah, and then he's just there, and I love how Warhawk even looks at him like, Dad? Like, he doesn't say it, but just gives him a look like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then John comes back, of course, you know. Uh, but anyways, yeah, so in this big battle, everything's going to hell. Um, They're trying to re- reason with, with Kronos, telling him, look, you are destroying the time stream, you didn't want this to happen, and uh, what happens from here? Like, he jumps into a portal. They give chase again or something. I'm not remembering this.
1: Yep. It's basically, now it's down to only uh, Batman and Green Lantern. They're the only and the ones. And John left. Green Lantern. Yeah, right. John, he, he morphs back, right. or time shifts back into John Stewart. And uh, the sky just starts turning completely white because all of time is just becoming one big fluid mess. And uh, so Kronos is like, Huh. Because Kronos is starting to lose his mind, yeah. too. You can see this. Yeah. He is starting to just absolutely lose it. So he kisses Enid and just says, You'll love me next time. And he jumps into a portal. And uh, Batman is like, There's nothing left. Where could he go? And Green Lantern says, He could go to the beginning of time and reset everything and make himself into, like, the Uber God. And uh, so they, but they do have uh, managed to stop him thanks to Green Lantern's ring.
0: Yeah, because GL says that the Guardians have a galactic law that says no one can see the beginning of time.
2: Mm-hmm. So they
0: have to stop him. And uh, they do. They grab him. They put the uh, virus or whatever it is into his belt that Batman created earlier, you know. And uh, next thing we know, Batman and Green Lantern are back on the Watchtower at, yep. in, in the cafeteria like they were when this started. Uh, GL, he has a big scar on his head, so we know the battle happened. And they're looking at each other like, are we the only people that remember this? And in an interesting little twist, Wonder Woman, we see her this time walk up behind Batman. So it's that initial scene where he was all awkward before, but now it doesn't happen. It's been erased. And uh, now this whole new thing happens where she sits down. There's no confrontation. Oh, Oh, she's behind me. Um... And they're like, do you remember going on a mission with us, like, two minutes from now? And she's like, no, I just got here. And they're like, okay. So GL is like, oh, what, so what happened to Cronus? Like, we didn't, did we stop him or what? And Batman, what does he say? Like, oh, I made sure Cronus will never come to be, right? Right. So we go back to the initial scene with him, where his wife is all like, you're a loser, blah, blah, blah. And he's all like, I'm going to get out of here. And when he ports away... It time loops him back 30 seconds, so she's yelling at him again. He runs away. Time ports him back 30 seconds. And so he's in this infinite 30-second loop of always being yelled at by his wife. <laughs> and uh, that's pretty much how this one ends, right?
1: Yep. So what do you
0: think about part two?
1: Ooh, hard fucking core. Yeah. Um. Yeah, this is just fan-fucking-tastic. Um, it was... Awesome to see static one more time. Yeah. Uh, even if it was 65 year old static, he's still a badass. Yeah. um, superpower jokers. That was awesome. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the jail headquarters has been, I mean, really this, this episode can be summed up just by the amount of death that happens yeah. in it or right before it. Thanks to all the time shifting. Mm-hmm. It, that's how you can remember this. Um, uh, Je- Justice League headquarters being the remains of Hamilton Hill High School is a very nice touch. I loved that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, Chucko's demise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love how Kronos was so pissed off at Chucko that he put him at the exact spot mm-hmm. where the where the meteor crashes into Earth. Yeah. Um. That. Wow. There's that's one death right yeah, there. Yeah. Uh, there. Terry gets killed. That's really – wow. Mm. Terry – see, the, the thing was, since they didn't show Terry dying um, – and I, I, he obviously does die. I'm not questioning that. I'm wondering exactly how he died if he was just – because part of me thinks he was just electrocuted to death, but then you bring up that he could have just been ripped apart, yeah. and I was like, ooh, that's even Worse,
0: I've always read that scene. Yes, he gets electrocuted. We see him getting electrocuted. There's no way. There's no way around that. But I've always read it as once they cut away, he was quartered. I just, I, I've just never seen it any, any other way in my mind. But you know, yeah. it could be read as he was electrocuted to death. That's fine because we know he's being shocked. I just don't think that was yeah. the killing blow.
1: Yeah, no, uh, you, you could be absolutely right, and I think that would be. Just even more gruesome. Yeah. Just think that he was ripped apart in four different ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think what – this is – we've mentioned this before during the Batman Beyond era, uh, that Kevin Conroy's vocal inflections can really be heard, like the different ones between uh, old Bruce and young Bruce. This is great because you can really see it front and center here because he's talking to himself.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's awesome. We get old Bruce vocal inflections and young Bruce vocal inflections. Yeah. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> Again, this is kind of like the first part. I'm just rambling. I really am, because I love this thing so much. Okay. So
0: what do you think? I I, I love this one, too. Um, you know, right, right from the get-go, uh, we realize that this is a different future to the DC animated universe. Um, you know, the Jokers are altered. Um, they they mentioned that they've killed a Green Lantern before, so we know that that little kid Green Lantern that we saw uh, previously in Batman Beyond is dead. But I, I do have a question about Warhawk. Mm-hmm. How old do you think he is? Because we see him without his mask a couple of times.
1: I would say forties, just based on how old he looks. He does look at least
0: 40. Okay, because I had pegged him at 30. So... That 40, though, works a little better. Because what I was thinking is, okay, let's say he's 40. We'll use your number, okay? Uh They say that the Batman Beyond Universe is about 50 years from the Justice Leaguers past, right? Right. So that means if... I, I had all these numbers written down, but I was doing it with a, with a different age. Here. Okay, how old do you think Green Lantern is? Uh, yikes, uh, mid thirties. Okay, yeah. Let, let's say let's say thirty five. Okay, uh-huh. tack on fifty years. So that would make him if he if he somehow survived to the Batman Beyond era, he's eighty five, right? Right. Then subtract off forty. saying Warhawk's age. So that means he would have had Warhawk when he was 45. I guess that's still plausible. When I was thinking Warhawk was 30, that means John wouldn't have impregnated Chayira until he was 55 or 60. You know what I'm saying? Right. But And I mean, it's still it's possible for a guy that old to to still get a woman pregnant. It was just one of those things where I was like, really? The math wasn't lining up for me. But if we make Warhawk 40, okay, it works a little better for me. It wasn't a gripe. It was just really like, I needed to talk it out with you. Uh To get it to work in my head. And now we've got that working in my head. Okay. Okay.
1: Well, I'm glad you bring up uh, an issue of age because I have kind of an off-the-wall question here. Did Enid look younger to you in part, Two? Yes, she did. I'm about to say, because I would not put it past this guy, Kronos, to cause her to look like 15 years, like to remove 15 years of wrinkles off her face with his time belt or something. Oh, yeah.
0: He could very easily have plucked out an earlier version of her from their own timeline. Mm -hmm. You know, like, two years after their marriage instead of them already being married, like let's say 20 years, you know, um, maybe he manipulated her DNA with time. Who knows? But she definitely did look younger. Were they trying to imply something? I don't know, but it's, it looks like it to me. Definitely.
1: Got to bring this up because we kind of joked about it during the summary. The, uh, criminals are superstitious and cowardly i wonder if in this warped continuity old bruce saw batman
0: the musical yet (laughs) yeah superstitious and cowardly it would have been funny if terry just started singing that in the background so we know that's what happened just even humming yeah exactly (laughs) and both and like young bruce looks at terry like what the hell and old bruce just looks at him like shut up
1: yeah One raises an eyebrow, the other leers at him. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. <laughs> oh, and I love that moment when uh, young Bruce meets old Bruce. And old Bruce is like, surprised to see me. And uh, young Bruce is like, a little. I'm more surprised I live so long.
1: <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was a great little moment. Because, you know, I mean, it just Absolutely. shows that Batman knows what he's doing. It, it will kill him someday. And the fact that it doesn't, whoa. That's amazing. Um, so, yeah, it's just a nice little thing they added in there. But what else yep. about this one?
1: Well, I, I was going to bring up the cane. Yeah. Um, this is how you interrogate someone. <laughs> Again, we joked about this during Batman Beyond. What the hell is he doing with that cane? I don't know. I really don't. <laughs> just just wondering. Yeah. Um, and then Batman, a young Batman playing the good cop. That. <laughs>
0: brilliant (laughs) fucking brilliant yeah and i love that when when what is it terry says that to to green lantern right stat no static yeah and green lantern's like it's all relative (laughs) like yeah it really is all relative (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. um oh i i did want to note uh before i forget this uh you know how we talked on an earlier WFP episode about the op- the new opening theme for this, and how they were showing clips yeah. from that particular episode. They clearly showed clips from other episodes during this one.
0: Okay, okay, good, good. So,
1: just wanted to make sure we had that uh, straightened out finally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um anyway, getting back to this. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, when the uh, when everything's going all to hell in the Coliseum at the end there, and the redcoats get teleported in. Um, it was kind of funny that one of them yells, fire at Will, and they fire at uh, at <laughs> Terry McGinnis, who is voiced by Will Friedel.
0: I wonder if that was a little joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is interesting. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Another question here I had. uh, What was with the design of that guard robot in the pyramid? Was that like Pharaoh Joker?
0: Yeah, it looked like a robot. At first, I forgot it was a robot. So I started thinking it was the Joker on the Venom Serum. You know, but then it's a robot, so I'm like, I don't know what's happening here. I, I really don't know where I, that thing came from.
1: I wish there was a commentary explaining what, what inspired that design. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's very weird, very weird.
1: My favorite line from this is one that uh, David says, actually, where it's like, Now Skidaddle, time is money. And (laughs) he walks over to his wife, and he's just like, actually, time is the non-spatial continuum in which uh, events occur linearly, usually in the direction of increased entropy. But the uh, clowns seem to relate better to the money thing. (laughs) And the fact that I remember that line by heart (laughs) is kind of sad.
0: It just uh, shows
1: you how many times I've watched this episode. Yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) Uh, What else about this one? I really don't have... Oh, you know what? We'll, We'll go back to it. The Hal Jordan thing. I'm completely joking when I say I was knocking a point off of this one. For yeah, I, I know. I figured I knocked two off. No, uh, I know. No. Again, I'm joking. No, when they brought <laughs> Hale in, I thought it was a nice touch because, you know, th- you know, we got Kyle, and of course, I'm a Kyle fanboy. You know, we we get John Stewart, and this cartoon made me a fan of John Stewart. Um, I'm sad that we don't ever get Guy Gardner, but we do get Hale Jordan, so we get you know three of the four. Big, you know, earthborn Green Lanterns, and I'm not—I don't mean to leave out Alan Scott, but he's not part of the core, you know. And plus, we kind of got him in the, what was that one uh, where they went to the alternate Leg- reality? Legends, right? So we kind of got him there too, you know. So it was nice that they were able to bring in Hale, even though it's only for like ninety seconds, as I said during the synopsis. I really like the design they have on him. Um, I don't know who did his voice, but I thought they did that well. I like the fact that he was up to speed. I wish they would have left him in more of the episode. You know, and like he would have shifted back into John halfway through the Coliseum battle. I would have preferred that. Um, So I'm going to admit, I'm actually sad that we didn't get more Hal Jordan in this. Because they could have got more story out of it they could have had Warhawk then start to worry about what that means for him if his dad is just shifted into this white guy, you know? (laughs) All of a sudden he's like, wait a minute, my dad doesn't exist anymore, you know? Um, So it could have set up this little conflict uh, in him. And it's not something they had to explore deeply, just a couple of lines they could have given the character, that's all. Right, Um, because, I
1: mean, he and uh, Warhawk and Terry have kind of a friendship going here because he's like, you know, what, what, if we don't stop this guy, it's the end of everything. Yeah. And Terry's just like, we've been there before, man.
0: Yeah. And then Warhawk, what does he say? Well, something about having the weight, of your, what do you do when You have the weight of your, sh- the world on your shoulders. And his yeah. dad looks at him and he says, dig in, dig your heels in. Yeah, plant your feet. Yeah. Real, real great moment between them. Um, and what I also like, uh, another Warhawk, a Warhawk moment is, when they're all talking, like in the beginning, when they're at the uh, the high school at the jail, the Justice League, and they actually call them the the jail in the future, mm-hmm. I forgot about that. Um, when they're at the jail U high school base thing, he's like, "Well, don't you see? That means if the Justice League is here, that means we've we we already won this battle." And then, yeah, Static said that. Oh, I thought I thought it was Warhawk. I'm sorry, but whoever it was, they say it, and then old Bruce is like, "Yeah." what does he say like flawless logic if I ever saw it and you know he's like but I don't remember ever traveling into the future so really that's the moment where they're like yes this is an alternate timeline this and it kind of telegraphs the fact that by the end of this everything will be fixed you know and this whole thing will be erased but that's fine that's fine I thought it would have been a gutsy move though if they somehow would have found a way to keep this future thus erasing Batman Beyond out of continuity How fucked up would that have been? (laughs) You know? Yeah. I mean, I'm glad they didn't, but there's that part of me that's like, oh, that would have been gutsy.
1: I'm just going to say that, uh, like I said in the first part, this is absolutely, positively in my top three favorite Justice League and Justice League Unlimited episodes.
3: You can hold on to me if you want.
1: So tell me about Wildcat. What's so secret you couldn't talk about it in the Watchtower?
4: He's doing meta brawls. Illegal no-holds-barred cage fighting. Mostly super-powered criminals or guys with chemical enhancements. Only rule, they fight till one guy stays down. Why is he doing it? He loves to fight. Before he was Wildcat, he was the world heavyweight boxing champ.
1: I remember. But doesn't he get enough fighting in the League?
4: I think the League's part of the problem. It's like he's going through some kind of midlife crisis. I'm worried something's going to happen to him.
1: Oh, Next up is the Cat and the Canary. In this one, a group of ne'er-do-wells is unloading a truck of contraband weapons, and Black Canary is on stakeout. Uh, she contacts her partner, Wildcat, who says he's hung up and, uh, don't worry, I'll be there in ten minutes. And uh, He's clearly fighting someone, though. He, canary can hear this over her uh, comm link, and uh, we see a quick clip of it. And uh, Canary is, is through waiting for this, uh, or, or they're going to blow the stakeout. And, uh, she, she goes down there and just beats the, the fuck out of these guys and, uh, uses her sonic scream to stop their truck from getting away. And, uh, one of the goons was actually watching a webcast of an, un, uh, an illegal underground cage fight, uh, before all this went down. And Canary look, walks over to the thing and she sees that the winner of this fight was none other than Wildcat, her partner who was supposed to be there helping her. And Canary is not happy at this at all. And, uh, we go to the watchtower and Canary goes up to green arrow. Who's doing some, uh, you know, just some training right now. And, uh, uh, I forget what happens. She, she starts flirting with him just big time, uh, pretending like she can't fight. And then she's like, okay, look, if I can get out of this hold, you have to help me. And she easily does just like tosses him across the room. And, uh, she, uh, on the way to wherever she's going, she explains that uh, Wildcat is doing these illegal underground fights, and they have to get him out. These fights are normally between superpower criminals, and uh, she's like, "Well, I mean, maybe this, maybe Wildcat is going through a midlife crisis and needs to fight to feel worthwhile or something." So they drive up to some dude in a van down by the <laughs> river. I'm sorry, and they get tickets to the Metabrawl. Uh, which is what this thing is called, uh, thanks to Ollie having money. And Ollie is not pleased at this at all because he's like, oh, this is why you brought me along. Because uh, he really, he really, 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 really likes Dinah. And uh, he he figures that she's just toying with him. So they end up going to the locker room at this uh, secret MetaBrawl place and uh, Dinah pleads with Wildcat to stop this insanity. But uh, Wildcat, who's uh, been... Manipulated by the head of the Metabrawl, uh, her name was Roulette, uh, says that the league treats him like a has been because he's old and has no powers. They hardly ever send me out on missions anymore. And so Canary is like, So you're mad at people with powers and down here you get to beat on them? That That's what this is about? So Wildcat gets in Canary's face, which draws Ollie's ire. And, uh, he and Dinah leave. So Ollie's like, You know, what? I'm through with this shit. So, uh, Dinah says that. Uh, outside the uh, locker room, look. Wildcat is like a father to me. He trained me, along with a lot of other Justice Leaguers, when we were starting out. We, yeah, you know, we we have to get him out of here without the league knowing. And Ali's uh, like, "Oh, wow, you're right. Because you know, the le- if the league finds out, they'll kick him out." And Tyne is like, "Well, yeah, that or worse." So Ali uh, and uh, Dinah interrupt Wildcat's next fight, which is against the Atomic Skull. And Wildcat jumps in and stops all this huge brawl that's broken out between the the uh the suits and the the other villains there. And so, God, I figure what happens here. Uh, Wildcat is like, "What, you know, what the hell are you doing?" Canary's like, "You know, pick your side, us or them." So, Canary, their uh, uh, Wildcat looks at the heroes, looks at the villains, and looks up at the luxury box where Roulette is staring down at him. And he just steps aside to allow the villains to attack them. However, uh, Canary stops this by proposing a new fight. Her against Wildcat. And if she wins, Wildcat is released from meta-brawl forever. If uh, he wins, she will never bother him again. Uh, So Roulette sends them to separate dressing rooms to prepare. And Wildcat is extremely pissed off because Roulette says, if you don't fight her, you're finished. And you better not take a fall either. You need to stay undefeated or you're basically worthless to me. Uh, so we go to Canary's dressing room. And, uh, Arrow can't believe that Canary is actually going to do this. And he says that all this flirting, uh, to get him involved won't work again. And she, cause they're actually having kind of a heartfelt conversation here. And Canary says, look, it, it wasn't, you know, it's not always a game, Ollie. And, uh, you know, cause she really meant some of the, the flirting. It was, there was something to the flirting that she was handing him. And, uh, he says, really? Well, look me in the eyes and say it. So she walks up to him. And he takes the opportunity to gas her with one of his trick arrows, and, uh, she falls unconscious, so Relit enters, and she's, she's all pissed off at Arrow's like, don't worry, you'll still have your fight, and, uh, Wildcat now has to fight Green Arrow, and Wildcat's like, you're, you're fucking shitting me, right, this guy is not a fighter, and, uh, Arrow's like, hmm, maybe you'd rather fight a woman, <laughs> and, uh, Wildcat is not at all pleased by this comment, and he proceeds to just beat the unholy uh, living fuck out of Ollie. And, uh, wakes up in the dressing room. She runs out to the cage, uh, but she's restrained, and Wildcat continues the all-out smackdown of Ollie, who just continues to provoke him on. uh, uh, Wildcat ends up beating him up so badly that he actually appears to uh, kill Green Arrow. He lifts his hand, uh, it just falls limp. He checks his pulse. There's no pulse. It looks like Ollie is gone. And uh, Canary runs into the cage, just uh, runs up to Wildcat, punches him right in the face, and says, What have you done? Wildcat is just aghast at what he's apparently done, and he leaves. Um, so after everyone in the, the meta brawl, all the, the spectators and everybody leaves, Dinah's just kneeled by Ollie's body, uh, saying, you know, it was incredibly stupid, but it was really, really sweet. And she starts to cry, but then Ollie wakes up, and he's like, really? <laughs> so uh, Dinah's all shocked, and he said, I, I took a pill that put me into a metabolic stasis for a, a few minutes. I, and Dinah's like, you wanted to make Wildcat see what it was like to have killed a person. And he's like, oh, do you think it worked? <laughs> and Wildcat walks up to him, and he says, it worked. And uh, he, he and Dinah help him up. He's very badly injured, obviously. But Roulette walks up to the mall and says, yeah, yeah, right. You'll be back in a month, tops. So uh, Black Canary says, uh, no. And she uses the sonic scream to destroy the entire complex. Uh, so we go aboard the watchtower, and uh, Wildcat apologizes to Canary and says, look, I'm done with this fighting. Seeing Seeing that body laying there really got through to me. And Dinah's like, you know, I believe you, but I want some assurance. So she opens a door where Jean, Jean Jones, is sitting in front of an empty chair where it's clear that Wildcat is going to be going into counseling. And uh Wildcat's like, yeah, this is going to be harder than any fight I have ever been in. So he goes in there. Door closes. uh, Ollie limps over on a crutch to Dinah and uh he's got a broken shoulder and a broken leg and he asks her if she wants to go get some coffee and she's like sure and Ollie's like, Good, because you're buying. So what do you think?
0: Um Yeah, I don't know. This one doesn't do nothing for me. Hmm. Um I can understand that. I mean, I like that they did a wildcat centric episode. I like the that we get to see more of Green Arrow and Canary. Um, I like the chivalry he displays um, you know, even though he has to knock her out. You know, he stands up for her. I love the fight between uh, Wildcat and Green Arrow.
1: Wasn't much of a fight. No, it really wasn't, <laughs>
0: but I love the fact that Arrow is willing to let himself get potentially killed to, you know, have make this other hero see the light of day. Um, and ultimately, he's really doing it for a Canary. I like all that, but... I don't know. It's just there's just part of it that just falls flat for me.
1: Well, I got to tell you, you know, in terms of epic feel, this is about as opposite it as it gets from the last one.
0: Yeah, maybe I shouldn't have watched this directly on the heels of the Once and Future thing. Um I I don't know. Again, it's it's not bad. It's just it's just very middle of the road for me. A lot of good stuff. And I would say very little bad stuff. I mean, I definitely like the moment where they're on the motorcycle together and she's talking about uh, Wildcat and, you know, Ollie's holding on to her because he's riding on the back of the bike. And when he thinks that something's going on between those two, he lets go. It's this nice little moment where he's just like, oh. You know, so it's got a lot working for it. But I don't know. It just It just doesn't resonate with me. What about you, though?
1: I, I actually I really like this one a okay. lot. Um I I think a lot of it is because they got Dennis Farina into the DCAU as the voice of Wildcat. And I love just about everything Dennis Farina is in, so so that was cool. Um I love the Ollie Dinah dynamic that they've got going. Ollie Ollie pretty much owns this episode. Uh-huh. But then but Canary is great in her own right because you know, she cares deeply about this man and she wants desperately to save him. Um, And I think deep, you know, deep down she didn't want to make it seem like she was just manipulating Ollie for his money to get into the meta brawl and just to say, you know, save whom Ollie thinks might be her love interest. But, you know, it's clear that she doesn't want that to be what Ollie thinks. And, you you really get that in the locker room where she's like, you know, it's not all a game, Ollie. Yeah. So I I really really like what they're doing with uh, Arrow and Canary mm-hmm. here. Um, but you know, I I totally understand why you would not dig this one because it does it comes off the heels of the Once and Future <laughs> thing, <laughs> and it I and I understand why because it's you can't really have another just oh my god epic. Episode or a two-parter. After that, you just it's, you just can't. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it just in and of itself, this episode I think is really good.
0: You know, while you were talking, I came up with one of my like a, a gripe against this one. They make it a point several times to say that Wildcat is just a really good fighter. That he has no superpowers. That he's doing this just to take out. His frustration about that on superpowered beings, especially the bad guys, you know, right? But then he's like hitting a, a a heavy bag so hard it snaps off the chain. He punches through a wall. Yeah, it's like you know, it's sort of like you know, watch the movie Watchmen. That was one of my gripes with that is they they constantly say that these are just normal people that have trained well, and then they're doing, you know, super slow-mo, and they're punching walls there, too. And it's like, no, if they don't have powers, they can't do that. And we see him doing that. So it they're kind of breaking their own rules there. He either has powers or he doesn't. I mean, yeah, he's strong. We see he's a super buffed old dude, but he's still not going to punch through a wall like that. I'm sorry. Not without some sort of enhanced strength. Not even if he mm-hmm. were jacked up on steroids, and I'm not talking venom. I mean steroids. Would he be able to do that? No way.
1: Totally, totally agree with you. Absolutely. I'm trying to think. I, I don't have a ton of notes for this one, but I, I did think it was kind of funny that uh, when you know this, we mentioned this on a previous episode of WFP, where Ollie is like, you know, I mean, when the lawyers and the the you know the government gets done with you, you're lucky to have a billion and a half, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and. And then uh, Dinah's just like, oh, my heart bleeds. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny that she says that to a far left-wing guy. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I like that little bit at the end where he's like, like you had said, he says, oh, but you're buying with the coffee. you
1: mm-hmm. know. And I'm like,
0: yeah, he, he spent like two grand to get them the tickets and the information into that brawl, the least she can do is drop two bucks on a cup of coffee. You know? Yeah. <laughs> she uh-huh. owes him big yeah. time. <laughs> oh, yeah. but something you said during the synopsis confused me. You said he took a pill to make it look like he died? I thought he did something with one of his trick arrows. Because he holds something up in his hand, and it looks like it's the head of one of his arrows.
1: Maybe it was. I could have sworn he... Uh, said something about taking a a pill to put him in a metabolic stasis.
0: Okay, because see, what what I was going to say about that is I like the fact that we get to see him use his trick arrows, but in unconventional ways. You know, when he's screwing off the head when they're in the locker room, and then he gasses her, you know, Mm -hmm. and then... Again, I thought he did something to himself with that with that arrow to make it look like he was knocked out. Maybe he did take it, a pill, but it's it's possible he did. I'm not remembering. So for yeah, I like the fact that he, you know he wasn't shooting his arrow. He, obviously, he's not going to shoot her with a gas arrow, and he's not going to shoot an arrow at himself to knock himself out. But he just found these other ways to use his, use his gadgets to achieve his ultimate goal. It shows that he's a very smart guy. That um, he he can plan ahead. He may not be. 20 steps ahead like Batman but he is one or two steps ahead and he knows how to use his trick arrows again beyond just shooting them at people so th- th- that was a nice little touch I felt mm-hmm. um, something else I found quite interesting is um, when uh, Black Canary uh, challenges Green Arrow to to a sparring match um, or whoever challenged to whatever um, and she takes off her coat Um they took great care in animating her breasts for a few seconds. Um, go back and watch that, and I'm not saying that to be perverted. Just trust me, go back and watch it, and her breasts are a lot curvier. There's even an extra line or two, and then those lines kind of fade away, and they go into the general shape and design of the uh, DCAU breasts. Um, but yeah, for a second or two, a little extra care. little extra care. Not saying I minded. Just saying. It's there. (laughs) That's actually the only note I wrote down for this one. Uh, There's a shocker. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Tell me about it.
4: (laughs) Granny goodness. I'll kill you, you demented old gargoyle. Barda, I'm not going to let your
0: temper cost us Oberon's life.
4: I knew you wouldn't let her hurt your old granny, Scott. What do you want? Life on Apocalypse has become very... Difficult since Great Darkseid vanished. Dear Granny has tried her best to bring order to our world. You mean you've been trying to take over? But there are others who seek to thwart Granny's good intentions. Thurman Vunderbar. That awful, awful man. Do you know that he's actually imprisoned Darkseid's son, poor dim-witted Calabac, in hopes of legitimizing his claim to the throne? Why? He's probably brainwashing the poor creature right now. Bending him to his will. Like you're not planning the same thing. What do you want? No, it's nothing really. Granny just needs you to break into the place where Calabac is being held and then bring him to Granny's orphanage. Where he can get proper care. If we do that, we'll be handing you control of Apocalypse. Exactly. But if you find that prospect distasteful, wait till you see what Oberon looks like when I send him back to you. Piece by piece. Where is Calabac? On Apocalypse, of course. In the X Pit. Why, you're not afraid of the pit, are you, Scott?
2: No, i'm not afraid
0: okay next up is the ties that bind aka miracles happen in this one mr miracle big barda and their friend oberon they are setting up mr miracle for his next great um escape artist trick cuz that's what he does and uh, they've got him in this big, giant containment suit. They freeze him up with some sort of ice, and then they drop the engine of a locomotive on top of him. Somehow he gets out of it. They never explain how, because it's a trade secret. And uh, as uh, Mr. Miracle and Big Barda are embracing, because, of course, they are a married couple, they notice that Oberon is missing, and uh, who should pop out of the shadows but Granny Goodness, basically saying that if they don't help her... Take down, and what was his name? Wunderbar?
1: Vermin Wunderbar. That's
0: it. Help her take down him, they will not get Oberon back. And it is Oberon, right? I'm pronouncing that correctly? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, remember, Darkseid at this point is dead. So there's a power vacuum on Apocalypse. Um, they obviously don't want to help Granny Goodness because they have a history with her. Uh, Barda, having been one of the Furies, in fact, I believe she was the leader of the Furies. And, uh, Mr. Miracle having been, you know, tortured mercilessly by this woman. And, uh, but, uh, you know, so they go to the league, they go to John specifically, that being John Jones. And they're like, look, we got to, uh, we got to, we got to save our buddy. And John's like, no. And they're like, Whoa, wait, excuse me. And he's like, look, we are not going to oust one dictator just to put another one in. I'm sorry, your friend we can't do anything for him meanwhile the flash is hanging around in the background and uh he he's all like look i'll I'll help and john's like no we're not doing anything about it so uh the, the the couple they walk away and the flash joins up with them and he's like look you know i'll help you out and bart is like you're not superman and he's like look i may not be as strong as him but i'm faster than him so they're like okay okay we'll use you so uh, all three uh, jump to Apocalypse in a boom tube. And uh, from there, it's just a matter of them getting into the fortress. Uh, oh, oh, you know what? I, one of the things I forgot, I'm sorry, guys, is that Granny wants uh, them to free Calabac. Calabac? Caliban. Calabac. 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 Um, you know, because voom the bar or whatever is brainwashing him, and they're like, Well, you're just going to brainwash me. And she's like, Yeah, but what are you going to do? I got Oberon, you know? So they got to go free him. You know, they got to free Oberon, all this and that. Uh, when they get there, we see, they don't see, but we see that Oberon's on a giant table with these giant knives coming down at him. And if he doesn't complete a challenge within 60 seconds, he'll be eviscerated and Billy the puppet. Oh, wait, never mind. Um, so, <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the Flash ends up freeing Kalibak, Um, I mean, I don't care. Um, Kalabak's all like, oh my God, I was just freed by an enemy. Uh, Barda and Mr. Miracle come up and they're like, look, you know, this is what's going on. And Kalabak's like, okay, well, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So I'll help you guys out, but I'm not happy about it. So, you know, they're trying to get out of the base. It's just one trap after the next. You get a couple of flashbacks to Mr. Miracle's past when he was a little boy uh, being tortured and tested by Granny Goodness. And, uh, uh... What the hell happens? Um, I don't know. Shit blows up. They get out of the base. What? I don't care. Um...
1: <laughs> okay, well, the, they, uh... Yeah, yeah they just... They do get out of the pit and uh Granny Goodness confronts them and um, Well the building blows have, up.
0: Vundabar right. blows up the, bu- the the bus. The bu- the building, I shouldn't have meant to say. <laughs>
1: yeah. And uh they have Calabac in tow and uh it, it, Granny Goodness is like, Oh, you you've you've rescued uh
0: Calabac. Oh <laughs> that's and, a good uh, Granny Goodness. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I bet if I had like a few minutes to really perfect it, I could do like any of her lines. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah. anyway, um, so they're like, "All right, yeah, where's Oberon?" And uh, she's like, "Oh, he was rude to Granny, goodness, <laughs> and uh, I had to eviscerate him because I'm Billy the Puppet and I'm Jigsaw and I'm not no um, <laughs> like." And then she she uh it turns out that uh Jean was impersonating Calabac. Uh, at some point they did they pulled a switcheroo. And, uh, Jean, uh, said, like, reads, uh, Granny Goodness's mind very quickly, and it allows Flash to zoom off and save Oberon right before he's sliced into several pieces. Yeah. And so, Oberon is safe, Calabac is imprisoned on Earth, and, uh, Barda punches Granny Goodness in the face, and that's it, pretty much. Yeah. So what do you think? <laughs> if you'll remember on the forums, I don't know if you read the feedback thread yeah. from the last episode. Yeah, I yeah, was like... Oh, God, I hate this episode. And then I, I posted something the other day where I was like, you know what, folks, you need to listen to this episode just to hear my thoughts right, on this. Right, yeah. Uh, when I watched this one back in 2004 or five, whenever it was, um, I remember little from this thing other than that I was bored senseless, and I never, ever wanted to watch it again. And so this was only the second time I had ever watched this episode. Uh and basically all I had remembered about it going in was that there were flashbacks that Mr. Miracle kept having and the flash was in it and watching it last night. I was like, wow, this is a lot of fun. I can't tell you. I, I thought it was fun. It was exciting. I loved the flash. I, I, you know, this is, that's the, you know, and that's the thing I'm going to get to that in a second, but, Flash was awesome here. His interactions with Barda are are just hilarious. Yeah, uh, and I loved the you know the, the twist with Jean at the end there. I I didn't remember that at all. Uh, but anyway, g- getting into the Flash, uh, he returns in Apocalypse based episode. Yeah, that's weird. Very very weird. Not that I'm complaining because we hadn't had Wally at any point in JLU yet. Yeah. So, so he's not I'm in a speaking because
0: he's been. We've seen him, but he's not said anything, right? Yeah. So,
1: you know, at least he's back. Right. Uh, at least Michael Rosenbaum is back. Um. But yeah i I can't believe how just how much my mood has changed on this one. Now that said, I don't blame you one hundred percent for not giving a shit about this episode because I was like that at one point too. <laughs> I completely
0: understand where you're coming from. And again, I mean I'm not really claiming it's terrible. I know during my synopsis I was all like, "Oh, I don't care." But that's the that's the that's what I'm getting at. I just don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and it's not like the last one, the cat and the canary or whatever it was called. This is an I don't care on a different sort of level. Um I think Mr. Miracle's got a cool design. I'd get rid of the cape. I'm not crazy about his cape, but he's got a cool design. That's neat. I like Big Barda. I like her design, and not just because her tits are hanging out half the time. You know, (laughs) I like the fact that they're this couple that got away from Apocalypse, and they're trying to live a normal life on Earth and be heroes. Um, I like the fact that Mr. Miracle is, he's like Kalabak's stepbrother or something. I forget how that whole relationship works out. Uh so somehow he's kinda connected to Dark Side in that. You know, there's all this well, wasn't, What's
1: that? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt that. Wasn't Mr. Miracle the one who was traded from New Genesis? Yeah, because remember in the, in the I thought
0: I thought Calabac was High Father's son. Mm-hmm. But it turns out oh Mr. Miracle was High Father's son, right?
2: Right, right? right. Right. Okay.
0: So I mean there's all this interesting stuff with them. It's just the way they were executing it it did so little for me, you know, and I really felt like, okay, granted, they weren't going to do another two-parter, you know, because, I mean, the Once and Future thing ended the first season of JLU, correct? Um,
1: I believe so, right. yes.
0: So I, I don't see them doing another two-parter to launch, especially because in, in the JLU era, they're really just trying to do one-parters. To, to, you know, so they weren't going to do a two-parter to launch the first season, but I really wish they would have done it where the first part was all flashbacks to Mr. Miracle and Barda's past. Because keep in mind, we don't get any of Barda's past. She just is like, oh, I was the commander of the Furies. And then that's it. It would have been really interesting to see them as in their youth and juxtaposing their histories, and we see them get away. And then the second part, now we care about them. We We understand why they want to go back and stop Granny and save Oberon and do all this and that. And then I would, I would be completely hooked, but I'm just not because we get these really short flashbacks that just do nothing, nothing at all for me in, 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 in this story. I needed a whole nother episode. I have a question
1: here. When did Calabac become so articulate?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's like he's all of a sudden gained about 30 IQ points. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not that I'm complaining because I think he had some pretty damn good lines. Mm-hmm. I really did. It's, when he's talking to Wunderbar, yeah. he's like, You're about as noble as my armpit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that that was very curious, yeah. I'll say.
0: Not going to count off no. for it. It's just weird. Yeah, and then I don't know if we've ever seen Kalibak be this much of a badass. Normally he's been portrayed as kind of like he's supposed to be super, like a super badass. But then he just gets his oh. ass handed to him. And here, he's just going wild. And I loved that. I I, I liked seeing this Calibat, because my understanding is he is supposed to be a big badass. But I really think this is the first time we've seen that, yeah.
1: What did you think of uh, uh, Flash's little tornado into the, the, the... What is that, force field thing that uh. turned into an exploding tornado? What... What was
0: that? Where did that come from? I don't know where it came from, but I have two things to say about it. I find it interesting because, you know, later on in the Great Brain Robbery, when Luthor is in the Flash's body, remember, we see Luthor unleash Flash's powers to the point where he's, like, vibrating his molecules, but in in a, like, a very negative way, and he's destroying, like, parts of the station. Remember that? So this is almost showing, this is almost foreshadowing to that. So somehow the fire mixed with the vibration causes an explosion in the wall. So that was interesting. But yeah,
1: I'm I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh-huh. I really am, But I just remember this that that wasn't the last appearance of Doctor Fate because Doctor Fate comes back in Great Brain Robbery. So I'm, oh, I'm sorry.
0: Oh, he does. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, okay, okay. Please continue. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but my the other thing I was going to say about it is. I don't like the fact that they had him... I understand they needed the Flash to do something. Because at the end, they all get a beat. You know what I mean? Just to put them over. Um, But the reason I'm not keen about him exploding the wall... Why didn't he blow up the fucking wall when Mr. Miracle was drowning? I mean, I get it that they needed to show Mr. Miracle escape. You know, because that's, that's how it works out for the story. But when you actually look at it logically... The flash could vibrate through the wall and either explode the wall, grab uh, uh, Miracle. Did I say fade earlier? I'm sorry if I said fade earlier. Um, grab Miracle and vibrate him out of the room. Or just, there's so many different ways he could have got him out of that room. And then to see him destroy a wall later on, it makes me just really go, why didn't he do that earlier to save the guy? Mm-hmm. You know, it it just doesn't, that just, yeah, that bothers the shit on me every time I see this one.
1: It should be noted that. Uh... Actually, got two voice cast notes here. One, the guy who did Wunderbar's voice Mm. is the same guy who played um, the German soldier on that comedy show Laugh-In that coined the popular very interesting uh, catchphrase. He he would always add something at the end of it, like, very interesting, but stupid, just shit like that. (laughs) So I thought that was kind of cool that they got him to do this guy's voice. Um, The other thing is Jeremy Piven did the voice of Elongated Man. Which is very, very weird to me because yeah. uh, he's Piven has has really established himself as a uh, a popular comedic actor right now mm-hmm. and uh, in some uh, very adult oriented comedic movies. <laughs> so it's, you're seeing him do the voice of elongated man it was like, wow, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, strange, but okay, I'll allow it because I like Jeremy Piven. Yeah,
0: yeah no. Uh, two more things I want to mention about this one. Um, In the beginning, when we see Mr. Miracle unmasked, we see Barda, and we see Oberon, all their faces... I mean, these are characters created by Jack Kirby. Um, You know, they're Fourth World characters. But their faces in that scene are very Kirby-inspired. And I know Bruce Timm's style, which, of course, is the DCAU style, is based on Kirby's style. But they were going the extra mile in that opening sequence to establish that. The other thing I want to say is... This episode, you know, it said like story by Starenko, which is Jim Starenko, and then I forget who actually—I think it was JMD Mateus—who uh, wrote this one. Um, what's interesting about that is the character of Mister Miracle. If I'm remembering my my comic book history slash trivia correctly, the character of Mister M- Miracle is actually based on Jim Starenko. Um, I want to say he was an actual escape artist, and he and Kirby were friends. So Kirby, you know, said, hey, I'm going to make this character all about you. Uh, So it was nice to see him actually have some sort of credit in uh, actually crafting this episode here. It's just a shame that it was a very ho-hum episode.
4: What were you thinking? You're going to kill Superman and everyone else on the island. We have to sanction Doomsday. We were going to get to Superman somewhere down the line, and we've been trying to stop drug traffic from San Baccaro for years. The way I see it, three birds,
1: one stone.
2: Call it off.
1: Anti-abort safeties have already engaged. I couldn't stop it now if I wanted to. And lastly up today is the Doomsday sanction. In this one, uh, it opens up with Amanda Waller uh, waking up one morning and... She goes to get her coffee, and we see a news report that an island volcano is near eruption, and it's going to be a catastrophic one. It's going to totally destroy the island that it encompasses. Um, The report also says that the Justice League is going to help with the evacuation, and Waller calls someone and tells him or her to get all of the Cadmus Division heads to the meeting an hour early. Also on the news report, we see that Lex Luthor has officially announced his candidacy for president of the United States. Uh, So Waller goes, takes a shower. And we see her security cameras going offline one by one without her knowing. Uh, when she turns the water off on the shower, a hand is holding her towel out for her. She rips the curtain open to see Batman holding it, and he's just like, "Get dressed. It's time we talked." So we get the title uh, music. Afterwards, uh, Batman uh, starts rattling off Waller's accomplishments, and she's like, "Hmm, really? You know, why don't I start uh, rattling off yours? And I could, you know, I could just blow your..." Secret identity anytime I want. Batman's like, fine. How about we step into the light together? Since you know you've bypassed Congress repeatedly, had secret weapons created, and run illegal cloning experiments. Uh, so Batman's like, look, wh- I I want to know what you what you think you're doing. And uh, Waller says that uh, for Luthor to get his pardon a few years ago, he had to divulge everything that happened during their parallel universe trip to, against the Justice Lords. So she ran some computer simulations. If the Justice League ever went rogue, the human race wouldn't stand a snowball's chance in hell of surviving. But that was before Cadmus, and now they have the technology to defend themselves. And Batman uh, takes a threatening tone here and is like, look, if you ever present a threat to the world, the Justice League is going to take you down. And Waller's just like in total incredulity, uh, incredulity uh, retorts that, You all have a space station with a gigantic weapon pointing down, and then in another world, seven of you – actually, it was only six, but – overthrew the government and assassinated the president. We're the good guys. We protect humanity from a very real threat, you. So Batman leaves without saying another word, and uh, we go aboard the watchtower, and uh, Batman is giving his report to the rest of the original seven. And I say seven because, yes, Shira is there too. Um, and he lays it out. Cadmus is developing weapons specifically to fight us, the justice league. And, uh, Sean is like, yes, they're worried we've grown too powerful. And, uh, meanwhile, we get, uh, we'd get like a pan to uh, waller addressing her round table. Uh, and Emile Hamilton says that Galatea and the doomsday weapon are progressing nicely from the respective injuries and they will be operational soon. And, uh, Waller then asks a woman named Tala, who's a witch, uh, if she can come up with a a way to retrieve the armor, which is a reference to the Annihilator. And she says, yes, but I'm going to need additional resources. And uh, we go back into space, and Flash says, look, the Justice Lords went rogue because their Flash died. So as long as you focus on keeping me alive, everything's going to be peachy. (laughs) (laughs) So the rest of them are, are just like staring at him, and Sean says, hmm, let's put a pin in that theory to explore at a later time. So Superman says, look, I've seen the federal budget. There's no funding for a Project Cadmus. So where is all this money coming from? And they're like, you know, the obvious suspect is Luthor. So uh, Batman says, look, it, it, he's the obvious suspect. But if he's funding Cadmus, he's doing an excellent job of covering it up. So he says, look, i put the question on the job. If anyone could find the link, he can. So meanwhile, he'll keep following Waller. So we go back down to Cadmus, and Waller asks Dr. Milo, yeah, we all remember this schmuck, right? <laughs> she asks him how his splicing experiments are going and he has nothing to show, so Waller fires him on the spot and tells him that if he ever tells anyone about Cadmus or his experiments, he will be permanently sanctioned. So Milo does not take this well, and he leaves and he goes into another room where none other than Doomsday is imprisoned. So he explains to Doomsday, Look, I know you're faking this shit. Your 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 uh frontal lobe is fully regenerated. Uh, but here's here's how it is. You were cloned from Superman's DNA and you were trained to hate Superman. You were repeatedly injured um, and you were supposed to be the ultimate weapon against Superman. But when you became uncontrollable, they shot you into space at, in a rocket and you did not take well to this because you your struggles uh, threw the rocket off course and you crash-landed on Earth and fought the Justice Lord Superman and he was the one who lobotomized you. And Milo says... But Superman isn't your enemy, though. It's Amanda Waller, Emil Hamilton, and the rest of Cadmus. So Milo's like, don't we both deserve retribution against them? And Doomsday's like, yes, release me. So Milo does. Doomsday promptly kills him. Yep. And uh, Doomsday escapes the compound with the utmost of ease. And uh, we go to the island where the volcano is going to erupt, and the League is trying to evacuate everyone as quickly as possible. Uh, Superman is trying to make these miniature holes in the volcano so as to ease pressure off of the main valve. And, uh, it's at this point that, that Doomsday appears inside the volcano and just totally assaults Superman. So they start fighting, and Superman uses his heat vision to drop a rock on top of Doomsday. <laughs> but in retaliation, Superman punches Superman, uh, sorry, Doomsday punches Superman right in the eyes to prevent any further, uh, nonsense of that nature. And, uh, so meanwhile at Cadmus, uh, General Eiling is going over a map of this island and says, we've tracked the stolen pot to uh, this place. And I think it's kind of funny that they actually say the word pot here. Yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, so I guess this, I think the island was called San Vaquero or something like that. And uh, uh, he also says that Doomsday went straight to Superman. I love a well-conditioned soldier. <laughs> and Waller's like, uh, we can't. You know we can't leave this thing running loose. He could try to kill everyone on the planet, so stop him by whatever means necessary. So she leaves. An island calls someone and says, "Commence Operation Firewall." This means that there's this missile. Uh, we see this missile being shot uh, towards the island, while Superman and Doomsday continue their brawl. Uh, Jean uh, and Batman are aboard the Watchtower, uh, tracking the. Uh, the rescue efforts and everything, and they see on their spectrograph that there's a missile heading towards the island and that its warhead is lined with kryptonite. And uh, Jean is like, well, no, we, there's no way we can shoot it from here. It's moving too fast. But who fired it? And Batman calls Waller on her private line to the president and says to call off the missile and that if anyone on that island dies, he's coming straight for her. And uh, Waller hangs up. So she goes straight for Isling while Batman... uh. They're like, all right, we'll, we'll send Captain Adam to to get the missile. And he's like, Batman's like, his top speed is Mach 2. He'll never reach there in time. So he gets into a javelin and just heads straight for the missile, going as fast as as the javelin can possibly go, using the Earth's atmosphere to make him fall even faster. So Waller storms into their the Cadmus war room, but Eiling says, look, we had to sanction Doomsday. We were going to. We're going to have to deal with Superman somewhere down the line, and we've been trying to stop drug trafficking in San Vicarra for years. Three birds, one stone. And he can't call it off now because the anti-abort safeties have engaged on the missile. So, right at this point, Doomsday is beating the hell out of Superman. Uh, Like, he's near death at this point. And Wonder Woman uh, is like, look, I'm going back for Superman. So she tells Flash to get everybody else off the island. Uh, Batman, meanwhile, is forced to magnetize the javelin itself to the missile and, uh, try and steer it away from the island before it explodes. And he ejects, uh, himself from the javelin before it explodes, and it does explode, sending this tidal wave towards one side of the island. And Jean is, has lost all contact with Batman after this happens. Superman, meanwhile, is just trying to stay alive, and he tries to lobotomize Doomsday, yeah. but, but Doomsday will have none of it. And Superman is just like, all right, fuck this. He picks up Doomsday and throws him right into the heart of the volcano, <laughs> which causes the thing to erupt. And uh, Wonder Woman flies soups out of there just in the nick of time. Uh, so we go aboard the Watchtower. And the League has Doomsday in front of them encased in solidified magma. And they're trying to get answers from him. Uh, and he's, he's just like, fuck you. I'm going to kill you. No, I'm really going to kill you. Uh, did I mention that I'm going to kill you? And uh, look, he just says, all you need to know is I will get out of this and I will kill you. So Superman then decides that Doomsday is too dangerous to try and imprison on Earth, so he opens a panel on the floor and we see the Phantom Zone projector from way back in the Jaxor and Mala yeah. days. And uh, Doomsday promises to return one day and guess what? Kill all of them. So uh, they send him into the Phantom Zone Uh and we go into another room where Bruce is hooked up to IVs and machines. He has several broken bones. Uh, he calls them out on sending Doomsday to the Phantom Zone, and he says, Cadmus is right to be scared. The human race wouldn't stand a chance against you. So Superman says, look, we'd never do the heel turn. It's not in our nature. And uh, Bruce says, "Oh, really, what if Luthor does become president? And Superman's like, oh, there's always that kryptonite you carry around. it. Bruce just absolutely lays into him like, fuck you. I took a bullet for you today. You don't get to joke. Um, Superman's like, look, you're right, Bruce. I'm sorry, but you don't have any reason to worry about us. You know me. And Bruce is like, yeah, I do. So Supes and Wonder Woman leave, and the episode ends with the dark room where Bruce is just silently watching a Luthor presidential ad. Yep. What do you think?
0: Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't think this one's perfect. I'm going to say that right now. Um, I, this one, I definitely have some problems with this one, but overall, I I really do in, enjoy the tone of this one. Um, I think the cliffhanger leading into the opening title sequence is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's Batman and Waller's uh, bathroom, right? If I'm remembering correctly.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> that that is so cool. Um, that they foreshadow to an episode we'll be talking about next time, Task Force X. Yep, um, that's very neat. Um, I like what they were doing with Doomsday here, and I hate the Doomsday character. I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's a terrible character. But you know, from killing Milo, thank you. To yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, Milo's in this episode minus one. Doomsday kills him, plus two. You know? <laughs> <laughs> take a step back to take three steps <laughs> exactly. forward. You know, so that's neat. Um, everybody trying to justify what they're doing. You know, from... The heroes saying, "No, we're the good guys." To the to the to the military, to the government, saying, "No, we're the good guys." And you can see both sides of the argument. You know, Waller being like, "You have a giant gun pointing down," and Batman walks out pretty much at that point.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: um, you know, and that's where he really starts to side—not side with them, but see it their way. You know, to, to Isling being, you know, to, to being like, as you said, three birds, one stone." It's This is one of those gray area episodes where no one's right, but no one's wrong. No, no one's right, and everybody's wrong, is the way I should actually say that. Uh-huh, um, right. Nobody is, is, is doing... I mean, yeah, the heroes are trying to save that island, but when you really look at the situation, you can see it from all points of view. And that makes for some really great storytelling, I think. Um I'll get to some of my gripes in a little bit, but I want to hear what you have to say about this one.
1: Um this one I've seen this episode I don't even know how many times, but it it really I remember it being one of my favorites. Um and it is. It is a just, it is a fantastic episode. It it's critical in the Cadmus story arc. Um but as much as I love this episode, there is a colossal plot hole here. What's that? Um okay. Waller claims that Luthor had to tell about the Justice Lord's adventure to get his pardon. Milo tells Doomsday in the lab that he was created by Waller and Hamilton and Cadmus, all these Cadmus people, and conditioned to hate and kill Superman. But Doomsday was clearly already alive during the happenings of A Better World. The events that Waller says directly led to Cadmus' creation because of a fear of the League turning rogue. So, how was Doomsday alive during A Better World if the events of A, ve- a Better World led to his creation?
0: Is that what they said? Oh, man, I'm going to have to watch that again. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because, wait a minute, then they say, yeah, now I'm completely confused, yeah. Huh, good point. Yeah. Yeah. But,
1: that said, and that, and that is, I'm definitely counting off this episode for mm-hmm. that. That's why I said, well, I agree with you, this is far from perfect. Yeah. But this episode is fucking awesome. Uh I honestly thought back in 04 when I watched this for the first time that this is where we might get like a Tower of Babel like story oh, yeah. in the cartoon mm-hmm. because just because of the end of the episode uh you know you see that Bruce's facial expression is anger but he's downright terrified of what's going to happen if Luthor becomes president.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, that I, I do. I I love this one. I could watch it anytime.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I, I didn't mention that I love about this one, and, uh, you know, I was, I was watching this earlier today, right? And I completely forgot about how they handled Doomsday in this one, like what they did to him. And I'm like, okay, they've got some sort of committee going on, you know, they're on trial. It's very dark and ominous. And then, like, he brings up the Phantom Zone projector. I literally marked out while I was watching this. I was like, Phantom Zone! And then I remembered I was at work, and I should not really mark out. <laughs> you
1: know? <laughs> yeah, people might look at you strange if you just yell out the words Phantom yeah, Zone. Yeah, exactly. Right?
0: Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, that that's a dark moment. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: Darker by the fact that they are in the dark. Right,
0: exactly. Um, it's a very frightening moment, because it's one of those things where you're like, this really is a step in the wrong direction for the League. Taking them down the path to make them the Lords. Because, um, you know, the Lords, if you remember, and please correct me if I'm wrong, they really thought they were doing right by the planet, weren't they? Yeah. like They were taking over to, to like, basically... Yeah, they were you know, tightening their iron fist, but they thought that they were protecting the people and that's what the league thinks they're doing here. They're ridding the world of doomsday to save the people and uh, that's that's not a good place to go. If superheroes start becoming judge, jury and executioner, you know, um uh, that that's a slippery it, slope.
1: It is, and I totally agree with you. But I I can by that same token, I think it's kind of a over the top for bruce to be mad about them sending doomsday into the phantom zone it's fucking doomsday well, all he does is kill 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 mindless right no no
0: it's it's one of those things where it's like he probably agrees that their choices were limited on what they could do with him but he's just basically saying look this is the kind of thing that's going to lead us to become the justice lords, and this is why they are afraid of us. We have a gun pointing down. To say the line again, we have a ray that can send anybody into an alternate dimension, potentially with no exit. Like it, like they could just point that at the White House and boop, gone. You know. And So that's all he's saying. He's like, we have weapons and tools that are way beyond earthly human science. And to expect them to just put us on a pedestal and worship us or cheer us is, is very, very egotistical and almost on a Luthor-like level. That's what Batman's ultimately saying there. Um, again, even though he probably agrees that their options were limited on what they could and should do with doomsday. Yeah.
1: Um, another thing I like about this episode is without saying a word, they told, they showed us how Waller knows Batman's identity. Hugo Strange is at the Cadmus table.
0: Oh yeah. I didn't put that together. Doesn't he come into play later on? Like, we're supposed to assume he was... Mine. No. I thought he was... We're supposed to assume he was brainwashing people or something later on.
1: No, because Hugo becomes part of the Bat embargo. Oh. And he's never seen again. They replace him with somebody else. I know what you're talking about, where he's torturing... This dude is torturing the question. Yeah. But that's somebody else. Okay,
0: okay. Mm. But yeah, you're right. There we go. That's how she knows.
1: Another thing I actually didn't did not like about this episode... I hated what they did to Doomsday's voice here. Uh, in a better world, Michael Jai White's voice was perfect. I loved how, uh, just, he didn't have very many lines at all, but I loved the delivery, I loved the tone, the pitch, everything about it. And then they just, yeah, I know you could say, look, the lobotomy fucked his Voice up or something. Yeah. I don't know. I guess you could say that. But still, I hated that they altered his voice here. It's still Michael J. White, but they they did you know, they altered with some you know like they altered they did the sound editing to it, and I hated that.
0: Yeah, I don't remember his voice from last time, unfortunately, so I can't say. Um, one of my gripes, though is how did Doomsday find Superman in the volcano? Uh, Does anybody tell the him? Only... No.
1: The only thing I can think of is that he, since he has super hearing, since he's made from Superman's DNA, he overheard uh, somebody in Cadmus talking about it. Okay, but, like,
0: but but speaking of that, if he's made from Superman's DNA, how is he super strong right when he comes out of that prison he's in? Doesn't he need the sun? you got to assume he would have been, the lighting in there was reddish. That's got to be a red sun thing going on. Where, where did he get the, the, the sunlight to make himself super strong to whip Superman's ass? Good point. You know, I mean, yeah, maybe he zipped over to the other side of the the, the the world and soaked up some sun, but there's no indication that he does that. He makes a beeline straight for that volcano. So, again, yeah, how did he know? I, and, again, super hearing, sure, maybe, but his super hearing wouldn't be working if he was under that red lamp.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so then how, how did he hear them? How did he know to go there, and why is he so strong? Now sure you could say maybe they tampered with his DNA so he doesn't need the yellow sunlight but why would they do that cuz they need a way to control him. And again that yeah. room is red. There's you know they never say you're under a red sun lamp but you if you know Superman lore you know what's going on there. So I don't know. I don't know. Oh I was and then I was going to say I love that moment when Superman is so desperate as you said in the synopsis he actually tries to lobotomize Doomsday. And Doomsday's like, nuh-uh, not happening. Not again.
1: Can't beat me the same way twice.
0: That was, again, surprising. I forgot that happened in here. Another Justice Lord-type act. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, I was going to say a minute ago, uh, actually, just a quick little note here, is Dr. Milo actually mentions uh, Dr. Langstrom. Yeah, he did,
0: didn't he? So,
1: clearly, Langstrom is still alive. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Well, why would he have been dead? Did we think he died? I don't. I don't know. It didn't I? I could have sworn there was an episode of BTAS where he was just badly, badly injured, and we didn't. We may have questioned what happened to him. I don't, I don't remember. remember. It was a long, 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 long time ago. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um. What was I? There was something I wanted to say. Ch- oh, oh, oh. Okay. Batman in the jet magnetizing it so that it picks up the nuclear weapon, and all this and that. What is more badass, Batman flying the old watchtower out of orbit and crash landing it on the Thanagarian generator thingy, or Bat- Batman? Hang on, or Batman attaching his ship to a nuclear weapon that is enhanced by kryptonite and flying it off so that it detonates safely at sea?
1: I I still go with uh, the Watchtower. Yeah, I... Because it, it was just... He dropped a fucking space station on top of a city... Uh, a thing that's, like, as big as a city uh, that was generating a, a force field. Or, well, not even a force field, but, what you know, that generator thing. I, now, and that's not to take away from what he did with the Javelin, because that was just ridiculous. <laughs> but, but, yeah,
0: I still... I still have to go with the Watchtower. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm really... I'm kind of leaning towards the nuke thing right now. Um, I can't blame you for that. Just, <laughs> I mean, I just love the Watchtower moment so no, much. No, it's great, and it's made more powerful by what he says to the Flash and John. Um, but uh, I don't know. We're talking a, a Kryptonite slash nuclear bomb. You know, <laughs> talking about a space station. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see your point, but
2: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
0: I mean either way it's it's in my mind they're no matter what order you put them in they're like number 1 and 2 in terms of like batman's most badass moments so far. Um I I don't remember if he has any ones that are better or bigger than this uh later on but yeah yeah he I always forget that they give him like the super cool moments.
1: <laughs>
0: uh what else about this one?
1: Um just one more question I- You know, Shaira is in the meeting at the beginning of the episode, but she's not at the tribunal at the end. There's not even a chair There's only six
0: chairs? Yeah. Okay, there's six chairs and one's empty because that's Batman's chair. Exactly. But what did they do with the seventh chair? Uh Maybe they didn't have that. Oh, because it is a new watchtower. Maybe they never had that room when she was on the team. And when they rebuilt it, they just only did six chairs. But you're right. She should have been in Batman's chair then. But then people would go, wait a minute, why aren't there seven chairs? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, she's back on the league, but she obviously doesn't have, and she is a founding member, but she obviously doesn't have the same status she once did. I right. think is what it is. So, yeah. Uh, anything else? No, I don't think so. Okay, let's score these. Uh, Wake the Dead. I will give that one a six. That is also getting a six from me. The Once in Future Thing. Uh,
1: let's see. The first episode got a 10, the second one got a 10, so. By my estimation, that's a 10.
0: <laughs> why the hell did I write down an 8?
1: <laughs> yeah, I gotta, I'm got i going to call you out here, sir. Why the hell did you grade that an 8?
0: <laughs> While we were talking about it, I kept looking down at my grade going, why did I write an 8? No, that's a 10. I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, the Cat and the Canary. I would give that one a 7. Uh, this one's getting a 5 from me, but I'm almost going to guarantee that this is going to be revisited. Because I really do think watching it on the heels of the once in future thing made me just go kind of, eh, I don't know about this one, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, the Ties That Bind.
1: Had this been in 2004, I probably would have graded this like a 2. Mm. But uh, watching it this time, I'm giving it a 6. And I may even come back to this and bump
0: it to a 7. I'm not sure. Yeah, i got to give this one a 5. And the Doomsday Sanction. I'll give that one a 9. That one is getting a seven from me. Wait, a seven? Nah, no, I'll give it an eight. <laughs> I'll change that right here and now. Yeah, that's an eight.
4: You'll do anything to avoid monitor duty.
0: Sent him off to the
3: Phantom Zone, didn't you? He left us no choice. Spoken like a true Justice Lord.
0: What? Come on,
3: passing judgment like gods, with our superpowered army and our orbiting death ray? Cadmus is right to be scared. The human race wouldn't stand a chance. We'd never go there. It isn't in our nature, and nothing can change that. Nothing? What if Luthor does become president, like he did in their world?
0: What would stop you from doing what that Superman did? There's always that kryptonite you carry around. You don't get to joke. Not today. I just took a bullet for you. I'm sorry, Bruce. You're right. But you don't have to worry about the Justice League. Trust me. You know me. Yeah. I do. Get some rest. Feedback in the form of emails can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Our voicemail number is 731-WFP-WFP0. three seven nine three seven zero. And don't forget about our store, which can be found at earth2.net slash store. That's earth-2.net number slash store. And remember, if you donate at least $10 to earth2.net before the end of 2010, you'll receive my DVD commentary of Superman, Batman, Apocalypse. And the person who donates the most, again, by the end of 2010, will receive a brand new copy of the uncut version of Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, the book Batman Animated, and the other book Mythology, the DC Comic Art of Alex Ross. And to donate... That $10 or more to earth2.net, just visit earth2.net slash donations, earth-2.net slash donations. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss five more episodes of Justice League Unlimited, those being Task Force X, The Balance, Double Date, Clash, and Hunter's Moon, aka Mystery in Space. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast.